We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Double comes from Siakam. Quick doubles, too. Trent Jr. with an easy two. And Rivers with a quick timeout early in this third quarter. 61-56. Raptors lead back to five. Good morning, everybody, along with my pal, Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Macnow on a beautiful sunny in the Delaware Valley. And, well, Ray, it was, it was not beautiful yesterday in Toronto. And I guess, you know, it can't be that easy, right? Every series has to have its clunker. And um, I guess the Raptors aren't that bad. Mm-hmm. They, weren't, they weren't just going to roll over. Right. And, and I guess... And I hope that the Sixers got this out of their system. But I want to I want to pose this, Ray, and I'll, I'll come to you with this, and we'll see what our audience out there thinks. We saw the Joel Embiid news you know, late in the week before the weekend, and I think everybody kind of said, like, oh, you know, it's it's overblown. Shams is the guy who's promoting this, and we know he's on the payroll of the same people who are – promoting Ben Simmons and it's overblown and we can just kind of ignore this if they win the game he's going to have rest before series two and all is going to be fine and I thought yesterday watching that game that that Embiid's thumb injury impacted him the entire time and that the rest of the team kind of followed his lead into a into a torpor to use a word I don't use too often and that what I was hoping would be a James Harden, hey, don't worry, lads, I'll take this one over game didn't happen. And that for the first time um, during the playoffs, Tyrese Maxey kind of kind of wasn't able to get anything going. And so, Ray, I'm going to put all of that on the tee. I'm going to hand you the three iron. And I'm going to say or ask you, Pose, with everything I just said, can you tell me, please, there's no reason to worry, right? <laughs> well, I was never particularly good with three iron. Oh, driver? No, um, no I, I actually could hit the five really well. Uh, that was that, put this one in, whatever, whatever was you want to do. The five was the best club in my bag, but okay. uh, be that as it may. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think – well, it depends on – on how far down the road you're trying to look and what your expectations are. Okay, uh, good point. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think they're going to win the series. Uh, you know, no team in the history of professional basketball has come back from 0-3 and won a series. So I don't yeah, think I, you're going to. I always hate statements like that because 
because we all know like it never happens until the moment it happens. Yeah, yes, but okay. the fact that it's I'm not going to argue that. The fact that yes. it's never happened. Right, okay? I agree. Going back to the days when, you know, the guys had the, you know, were playing in black high tops and sure. had a jump ball after every basket. It still <laughs> never happened. So, I think the likelihood that that's what we're looking at here is probably pretty far-fetched. But uh if you take if you try and take a step back and look at the bigger picture, which is what we've been doing with this team ever since the Harden trade, which is okay, how likely is it that this team can win a championship um i thought there was i think there was re- i think what you saw yesterday was reason to be concerned if that's what you're really thinking if you're thinking about getting past toronto i wouldn't be too worried about it because i think that's going to happen but if you're thinking you know the bigger game if you're thinking you know the idea of the parade which is what everybody's been talking about since the trade um yeah i think uh, what you saw yesterday is gives you pause it gives me pause because he you know, Embiid clearly was not himself. Um, you know, he started off, I think he was like three for his first ten uh, and was never really the factor that he has to be for this team to win the championship. And if this, you know, Doc Rivers has said, well, you know, playing with this hand injury, it, it can't get any worse. Well, that's not really the point. The, the question is, can it get any better, you know? Uh, and if it can't get any better, then if you're thinking of winning the championship, you've got to come out of yesterday's game pretty worried, I think. Unfortunately, I agree with you 100%, and I was uh, of the mind that you were going to tell me that all remain calm, all is well. I got no Kevin Bacon in the alley. I wish I could, but I I can't do that in good conscience. I'm sorry. Okay, and nor can I. It's his right hand, and basically that was all I looked at while I watched the game. 90% of the time I was staring at Joel Embiid's right hand, and I thought he looked afraid to fight for rebounds. Um you know, one thing about him is he goes up and he falls down a lot during the game. And that's not time. a bad thing. I mean, All it's, the it's time. A, and yesterday I thought he was very tentative. He didn't want to fall down. He didn't, you know, maybe land on the right hand. Uh, you mentioned how poorly he shot, and he did. I'm reading tea leaves here, but I thought emotionally he was really not invested. Uh, invested is not the right word. Just emotionally um, locked in during right. the game. Yeah, he was not in a good place mentally. You right. can see that right from the jump. And I thought that just extended to the entire team. Yep. There was there was no energy out there. And it, and it all does stem from him. I'll get back to Harden in a minute because you hope he would be the guy to be able to do it. But it really does stem from Embiid. And if Embiid isn't himself, you know, what was the thing that um, Jay Wright said the other day? I, I coached this year. I wasn't 100%. I was 70 Didn't have my edge. Yeah. Well, okay. Whatever percent that, that Jay Wright said he was. Jay was said he was 70 Okay, if Joel Embiid is seventy percent, they'll beat the Raptors, and they'll probably beat them tomorrow. And the hometown crowd will go home really happy. But I think it it forebodes in a frightening way for the next round because it, he's the franchise. He is the franchise. His nickname is the franchise. He is he is that guy. And um, looking down the road, and and I, I mean, you know, I, I hate to be fatalistic, and people can point to me and say, like, well, you're the guy who predicted they weren't even going to win the first round, and so I've been wrong, and I would be delighted to be wrong here. But that team yesterday had no sense of urgency. They, they, they weren't really fighting for second chance points. They just were sluggish. Um, here's here's a stat I saw on Twitter, and Bean and Harden combined made twelve shots all game. And Bean and Harden combined had tw- uh, hold on eight turnovers, combined twelve turnovers combined, twelve turnovers combined. Um, 
Embiid had eight rebounds, but five of them were really late in the game when it was over. I mean, he just he was out. He just was out there. Siakam was out hustling everybody, and they were due for one of these games, Ray. Mm-hmm. Right. But getting back to the original question, does it mean more? Was it a was it a lack of urgency? Was it a low energy thing, or was it? Hey, your superstar is ailing, and this could be problematic. Um, yeah, I think that's I, I think it's the latter. You know, I, I do. Um, again, I you know they'll they'll win the series, and they're you're right. I think they probably will close it out tomorrow night. But that's not really the point. The point is how far can you go? And if he's if this is as good as he's going to be, or if he's going to be, you know, one night good, one night not good, the rest of the way, if that's what we're really looking at. Um, then I don't think they can do it. You know, that they need to to go all the way to the finals and win the whole thing. They need him playing at his best. And right now he's not. And I, I thought that, you know, there are a lot of stats that you can look at in basketball. I mean, you can even go the plus-minus route if you want to, which I think is kind of silly. I don't think basketball is – overblown stat. Yeah, I don't think that's – I don't it think it's a more good, on the other guys around you. Yeah, I, I don't – Yeah, Yeah, I, I think plus-minus in basketball, which a lot of the analytics people put tremendous stock in, I don't really – but one stat I do put some stock in, especially given the way the Sixers play, is how many times you go to the foul line. And this was the first game in the series when Toronto went to the line more than the Sixers did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not that's not the formula for winning this series. I mean, you saw in the first two games the Sixers were on the line all the time to the point where the Toronto coach, that's all he did was complain about that. <laughs> well, last night it swung around. And, uh, you know, Toronto was at the line, I think, 35 times, the Sixers 25 times. And – um, you can say, okay, it's one game, it's just an aberration, but that that speaks to a real change in the in the flow of the game. And um, you saw every time they try to get the ball into uh, into uh, Embiid low, um, you saw the Raptors smacking at the ball, hitting them yes. in the hands, and I yes. mean, yeah, and, and the ball okay. popping out by the way. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. you know, you're saying, well, are they really are they trying to hurt them? Well, you know, they're always reaching in, trying to strip the ball. They're always trying to. You see him; he has to fight through a lot of that typically. But was there a little more purpose behind it yesterday? Yeah, I think there was, and you know, it's. I, I don't think that, I don't think this thing is going to get better with more play. Uh, I think he's just going to have to play through it. And if this is as good as he's going to be the rest of the way, then then all of a sudden that ride to the championship becomes a lot more problematic. Yeah. Now you hope you get some rest before the second series, which is why winning tomorrow is very important. Uh, Miami lost, so you hope that that series extends. Atlanta can win a couple of games. But I don't know. We don't really know what the injury is, so we don't know if a week from now he's going to be feeling better. You referenced earlier, Doc, said it's not going to get any worse, but does it have the opportunity to heal with rest? Correct. I I don't know. His shot was affected by his thumb. There's no doubt about that. Um, uh, As you said, he got hit and he dropped it. He didn't go up as strong as he usually does. His passing wasn't as crisp. He normally passes with his right hand, and he just wasn't able to do it. Uh, You said he wasn't getting the fouls. All of those things. Sixers never gotten the bonus the entire game. Right. Um, And so that was a problem. I'm concerned. You and I agree. They're going to win. They're going to win tomorrow. They're going to move to the second round. And we really hope that it becomes where they say, like, guess what? He's amazingly, he's all better. He's healed. Whatever it is, it's gone. We don't know what it is, so it's hard to make that judgment. I want to get back to something I said a little bit earlier, and I'm not, I'm not trying to rip the guy on this, um, but I do want to talk about James Harden because when Embiid wasn't able to do that yesterday, 
the burden goes more to James Harden. He's the number two guy. Right. Uh, one, you want to see him try to get him beat easy looks. That didn't happen. And then you're hoping that Harden can just take over. You know, go just say, like, okay, it's not happening. Today is the day I'm putting up 32 points, and I'm going to be the guy. And and he wasn't terrible. His, he actually, I thought he played pretty good defense. Um, but I it would have – I would have liked to have seen him kind of either set up and beat, as I said, or just say, like, okay, this is it. I'm scoring the points. And it may be that the James Harden the Sixers have at this stage in his career isn't able to do that. You know, he's not the James Harden he was five years ago. Still a very nice player, very good point guard. He has added a lot to this team, but the James Harden superstar ain't there. By the way, he shot five for 17 yesterday. So right. He, maybe I'm actually speaking too nice for him. Missed six out of eight three-pointers uh, and just hit two shots in the second half. Um. If Embiid is ailing, they need Harden to be the man. And I don't know. I don't know if he can do it. Yeah, well, that's what kind of what you got him to be. I mean, you kind of got him. The, the whole point of the deal was to bring in that other guy that would complement compliment Embiid and uh, another big-time player um, who and a big-time scorer who could help set the offense and take some of that pressure off Embiid and hit the big shot when the big shot needed to be hit. And... You know, his shooting has really, over the last month, been not good. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that shot, that, you know, that, that step-back three-point shot just has not been there. Money money shot. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's you know, that, that's kind of what you were getting him for, was his ability to, to space the floor out a little bit, give him beat a little more room, give the defense one other shooter to think about. Um, you thought that's what you were getting in the trade, and frankly, you have not. And so, yeah, I mean, he has to, you know, I don't think, I don't think, it's realistic to think you're going to, at this point, suddenly get back the James Harden that was the scoring champion of the NBA five, six years ago. I, I, I don't think that I don't think he's that player anymore. So if you were counting on that being part of the championship equation, I don't think that that's going to happen. Will he have a good game here and there? Yeah, probably. But the idea that you can sort of go into every game counting on him to be that option, I don't think that's there. You know, the guy who may become – if Embiid is really going to kind of struggle, I don't expect it to be an every game struggle, but you know, also not every game is going to be easy for him. Some of them will be. Um, the X factor could be Maxi. You know. Oh, I was going a different direction. Go okay. Ahead. Uh, I you know he could be he could be the guy that might that might just step in here, and I'm not going to say carry the team because it's a little unfair to ask a young player like that to do that, carrying a team to a championship. I mean, rookie Magic Johnson. I don't. I'm not asking him to be. But we've seen him be a guy. Are you referencing who, winning time again? Uh, no, no, I'm not going there yet. Okay. Well, you're going there later. We'll today. get to that. We'll get to that later. But I, I think the other guy who can be the difference maker, you know, that can they can sort of tip the tip the scales in the Sixers' favor if Embiid is less than 100 percent and if Harden is sort of struggling from time to time. I think the guy that can step in and, and make the big difference is Maxi because I think we've seen him, I, we've seen him have those nights, and I think they're. If that, if they're going to win the championship, they're going to have to they're going to have to get more out of him certainly than they got yesterday. Well, one one thing he does do is he can bring energy, and he presumably that energy, particularly in a home game, right, will m rise up the crowd and hopefully rise up his teammates. And I do think tomorrow the fans are gonna are going to be great, and it will it will you know put the team the fans will put the team on their shoulders, and uh, the Sixers will realize we can't blow this thing. Hey, Doc Rivers in a three-to-one series. 
I'm not nervous about that. No, you, you don't want to go there. Well, they are. And so I'm thinking that tomorrow the team just kind of brings it, all of them bring it, and they win They win the game. I think they're going to win the game going away tomorrow. But as we're talking about the long term, the other uh, player you I thought you were going to make reference to, because he's been excellent, is Tobias Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, who And we talked about him a little bit yesterday. He's taken a lot of fan abuse. Uh, I think some of it is, well, it's warranted based on the size of his contract. And he was good again yesterday. He's hitting shots. He's moving. I, he's He's been a revelation this postseason. If Embiid can get healthy, if James Harden can improve, Tobias Harris can be a huge part of taking this team a long way. So mm-hmm. uh, the only other thing I want to say is this. And, Ray, this is where you staying off of social, off of social media is so much to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I don't, and I'm involved in it, and I'm looking at it last night. And, by the way, uh, thanks to everybody who sent me uh, happy birthday well wishes. I appreciate that. That was really nice. Uh, it's always nice to see. Yeah, somebody told me that you put a, an old football picture of me up on there. Got oh, the a big other day reaction. I did, yeah. Yeah, well, I had put it up about five years ago. Um, several years ago, you and I talked about how you had this uh, story, long-term story you worked on, a magazine piece where you actually went to a quarterback camp. Uh, yeah, that? yeah, it's 1977. So, yeah, well, about five years ago when we discussed it, you sent me a picture, or I found a picture and posted it of you doing that. And then when you're on Facebook, it every day says, hey, here's what you posted on this day in previous years. And so it came up, so I just clicked it again to resend it. That's all. <laughs> anyway, you look good. You, you definitely, you know, the, the, the white socks going up to your knees is a nice look. Yeah, apparently that drew a lot of commentary. Yeah, well. well yeah. But the, folks, keep in mind, those were 1977. People, the, people don't wear them like that Yeah, that the, tube, the old tube sock halfway up your leg thing, that was actually a thing back then. So Yes, yes it was. You know, anyway. The, com- the combination of that and the long hair, is it was certainly a different look for me. Well, that's why I put it up, because I, I thought you looked great, man. Uh, anyway, no, but the, what I got yesterday when I got home was a lot of birthday well wishes and a lot of Sixers fans ranting and raving about the officiating in the game yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? We just blasted Nick Nurse and the Toronto fan base and players for whining about officiating for the first three games, and then the Sixers lose yesterday because of all the reasons that you and I just stated over the last 15 minutes, and people are blaming the referees? Grow up. Yeah. Not the referee. They did not lose yesterday because of the refs. Right. And that is not your concern. All right. No, no, no. Quickly, one other thing I want to get into the Open. Phillies use lose. Uh, Yesterday, 5-3 to to the Milwaukee's. Disappointing game because the Phillies had the lead and then they blew it. Uh, Zach Wheeler pitched, Ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, five innings, four runs, uh, walked uh, none, struck out five. Um, was doing fine through four, and then he got pasted in the fifth. He's now 0-3 with an ERA over nine. But, right. Ray, mm-hmm. Joe Girardi would like to tell you how you should feel about this. You ready? I'm ready. All right, here's the manager. Much better today. Yeah, big improvement. I mean, I think we all saw where his stuff was today. Um, it's unfortunate that fourth inning got away from him a little bit because I thought he was throwing the ball really well today. I, I thought all, all his pitches were pretty crisp. I thought his sinker was much better today. Um, we saw velocity today right, okay. um, better than we've seen. <laughs> uh, thank you, Joe. Joe yeah, that, put, that was more than away. enough. Okay, Ray, Ray your thoughts. <laughs> All it's another. Remain calm. Right. All is fine. Right, right, right. Um, 
No, it's nonsense. It's uh, yeah, and and, and uh, I'm really disappointed because Joe Joe Girardi speaks nonsense, for you know a lot, too right. much. Had you know. velocity, ninety-seven yeah. miles an hour. Yeah, and the sinker was great, and <laughs> yeah, it worked real well for Milwaukee. Swing and miss rate was higher than last start, right? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think what I think what Girardi's trying to do, um, and not I don't think all that successfully, but I think what he's trying to do is. He's trying to alleviate any kind of fear in the fan base that, oh, my God, you know, there's something desperately wrong with Zach Wheeler. Because he reported to spring training and said that he had these arm issues. He had tired arm and all this stuff. So that sort of was a big red flag. Uh, and then he starts the year, and he's been getting smacked around in every game. Uh, and then yesterday, he loses again. Uh, and, you know, I think that Girardi, you know, he's he's sniffing fear in the wind here. And that it's – if it hasn't already started, it's it's going to start soon. As all of a sudden, the people say, "What's wrong with Zach Wheeler? So he got a bad arm? Are we looking at uh, you know midseason arm surgery here? Is this is you know because if you lose Zach Wheeler, if he's really not the guy that you had last year, not the guy that you've committed to as your number one starter, if if this is kind of what it's going to be for him, and it suggests that there's a a real injury that he's trying to pitch through, then the, then the alarm bells really do go off, and I think that's what. Girardi's trying to get out in front of. He's trying to, you know, look really calm and yeah, yeah, big improvement. Yeah, this was a lot better. And mm-hmm. whereas I, you know, everything tells you that's not true. I mean, the the, the pitching line tells you that's not true. The fact that he couldn't get through the fifth inning tells you that's not true. But I think he's just trying to calm the waters and not right. and not uh, and not allow a a a, a the, the Zach Wheeler the bad start to become a bad season. We'll get more into that as the show goes on. I want to get Robert in Germantown here in the first segment because he watched the Sixers and may have a different conclusion than we do. Hi, Robert. Hey, guys. Good to talk to you. I'm up in Bucks County again and want to thank Ray for that wonderful play. Maybe later Ray can tell us what the next venue will be. I heard rumors about Hershey, right? No, that is correct. Um, yeah. Um, on the 76ers, it's really, it's really about coaching. I think it comes down to uh, – you have to know the guy doesn't have the hot hand. Don't let Harden keep shooting. We've seen that movie many times in, in NBA. I mean, I mean better utilization of Maxi. Embiid, he's got to stop thinking he's a guard driving the basket, particularly when he's injured. I just, I just keep not being fond of our coaching at all, and it worries me tremendously. Should we get through the next round? Yeah, but it's going to be closer than it should be. We're just not using our talent intelligently. I'm not I'm not a big Doc Rivers fan either. I don't know that anybody is at this yeah. point, but I, I don't think they lost the game for coaching yesterday any more than I thought they lost for officiating. They lost it because Joel Embiid had really bad problems, and if Joel Embiid isn't good, they're not going to win. Uh, that's true, but I think we need to rely more on Maxine and Harden. Glenn, you, you, you like Harden more as the second guy. At this point, I think it's Maxie number two that we have to rely on to show up. Harden, I think, is... He's not, not there anymore. That capacity. Yeah, it's a lot to ask a rookie to, to do what you want him to do. Yeah, I know. As Ray said, Magic Johnson did it 42 years ago. but Right. I, I was I was at that game, guys, when they put him wow. at center. That's brilliant coaching. I was there when he dropped 40-plus on Chocolate Thunder. I was you know who coached that, that game? Uh, Paul Whitehead, right? Paul Westhead. Do you know what Paul yeah. Westhead's going to be doing today? Well, he's going to hopefully be on your show. I'm looking. He really is going to, to be on our show. Thank you for very the good, Robert. Perfect. He, he, he teed that one up very nicely. He did. So here's the deal. Here's the show. We are looking forward to taking your calls. We got a lot of 
going on. Uh, Ray is going to do uh, some NFL draft talk even in the next segment. We have more Phillies conversation coming up. 11 o'clock, Jim Lynham, the coach, is going to join us. These days known as Jim Lynham, the leprechaun, uh, <laughs> who does a terrific job. I think he's okay about that. Oh, yeah. I, no, no, he's... He, Believe me, he's 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 more than okay with it. He's yeah, he's he's kind of amused when he about did it. tell us your story, the, the new look. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he's going to join us at eleven to talk uh, Sixers Toronto, and at noon, Paul Westhead, uh, and we're really excited about this. As we just mentioned, he was the coach of those Showtime Lakers. Now the winning Time Lakers being portrayed on a uh, very popular HBO series. We want to talk to Paul about how he feels he's being portrayed, which Ray. I, I don't know the answer to that, but if he's not happy with it, I wouldn't blame him. No, it's not exactly a, a flattering it's not exactly a flattering look. No, and we'll talk to him about those times. He was also the coach of a magnificent, magnificent uh, Loyola Marymount team that became famous by setting scoring records uh, with Bo Kimmel and Hank Gathers, and we'll talk to him about his time at LaSalle and really kind of what's going on now at LaSalle with Fran Dunphy coming in to save, save the boat. So we're looking forward to talking to Paul Westhead as well. And you, 215-592-9494. Here's the deal. Today, $50 gift card. Uh, this week, Scheib Vintage Sports gift card. By the way, I talked to, uh, well, actually, yesterday we had Linda from Mayfair on the show, or excuse me, now Linda from Ballot. She's now Linda from Ballot, correct. Yeah, she won the gift card a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Thrilled. Excited, going through the catalog, trying to figure out what to T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. <laughs> There's no shortage of choices. No, it's great stuff. So the uh, best call today gets the $50 gift card to Shive Vintage Sports. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or shivesports.com. 215 592-9494. Rain Glenn on 94 WIP. They are so strong in the middle. Jordan Davis has lined up here. Watch how he just uses his power. 6'6", 340 pounds. He rips right through two offensive linemen. Young. And they get him to the ground finally. Big Jordan Davis. 350 pounds. The ball comes out. It's Dean running for the end zone. 
and they signal a touchdown. Didn't get blown dead. Not just a sack, but the big man in the middle forces the takeaway if it stands. Well, Ray, the NFL draft is Thursday night. You and I have discussed Jordan Davis a little bit, and Kobe Dean sneaks onto that one as well, and there's a lot of possibilities for the Eagles' first round. And so I kind of want to just take a, a – later in the show, by the way, you're going to do your sleepers. So mm-hmm. I, I want people to know that. But right now I just kind of want, if you don't mind – Give us a Ray Dinger, you know, five to ten minute primer on, all right, here are the Eagles' biggest needs, and here's where they might find it. And so I present the Ray Dinger NFL Draft Preview. (laughs) Well, the Eagles are a playoff team, or were last year, um, which is good. Hold on, I need to find my asterisk. Well, yeah, that that is kind of what you need, because – you know, to be fair, going into last season, there weren't a whole lot of people. In fact, there were very few people that thought that this team would be playing in the postseason. So give them full credit. I mean, they got there, so that's that's pretty good. But once they got there, anybody who watched their game against Tampa saw the difference between being a playoff team and being a true contender. Because, yeah, they were a playoff team, but they were not a true contender. If, they, if you're talking about the idea is to try and get back to a Super Bowl and possibly win a Super Bowl – the Eagles are far from that right now. Um, they're a team with a lot of needs and, frankly, a lot of holes, a lot of them on the defensive side. The good part of this conversation is that this is a draft that's coming up next week that, A, has a ton of really good defensive players, and, B, the Eagles are a team with a lot of picks and a lot of high picks. So they're in a position where – they can improve this defense in a very big way next week. So that's kind of what we're talking about. The big needs, obviously, pass rush. Howie Roseman has said that before. I agree with him 100%. The signing of Hassan Reddick helps a lot in that area. I mean, he will certainly come in and give them one really potent pass rusher if Jonathan Gannon uses him properly. Um, The other thing they need is they need another cornerback desperately to play on the other side. Steven Nelson has let go. Uh, they've really right now they've got one cornerback. They literally have one cornerback, and that's Darius Slay. Um, Maddox, I think, has established the fact he's a good slot corner, but he's not he's not a, a border corner. He's not a guy that can play outside. His size works against him. So this is a team that absolutely, positively, one hundred percent needs another cornerback. Uh, and you know, I think they could use another big body in the middle. I mean, you've re- you brought back Fletcher Cox. Uh, but I think everybody kind of looks at the fact that this is a one-year proposition. Uh, and so you have to begin thinking about, okay, who's the guy that's going to come in and be the next Fletcher Cox? So, I mean, these are all, and you need a safety, you know, because you've got, you're bringing back Anthony Harris, okay, uh, but McLeod's gone, and you don't have any other answers in-house. So you need a corner, you need a safety. You could use another pass rusher. Uh, and I'm not even going to deal with the linebackers because we know, the draft and the linebacker don't go together in Philadelphia. So I'm not going into this draft looking at <laughs> linebackers. But, I mean, these are these are a couple of – this isn't just like, yeah, they could use one of – yeah, they could use a guy. Yeah, they could use a – no, no, these are absolutely positively we got to go get them needs that are right on the table right now. Uh, that is great. That is great. So well, give me your short list. They have the two picks in the first round, you know, right, right kind of in the middle of the round. We don't know how he's going to – Kind of jiggle it up and down. Wouldn't be surprised. But 
If you were to make a, a short list of the five players, maybe a couple defensive players, maybe if you think they might draft a wide receiver. If you don't, you don't. Mm-hmm. But, like, who would be the likely guys you could see taking there? What would be the Ray Didinger list? Well, um, this is just – I'm just purely guessing when I say this, okay? So I don't want anybody to – Say, oh, somebody told him, or he's got inside information, or yeah, yeah. you know, he ta- informed judgment of yeah. Ray Didger. Yeah, I mean, that way? This, this is just me sort of sitting back and looking at Howie's record, looking at the way Howie tends to operate, looking at where they sit in the draft, and given their needs. I, if you were to ask me right now, what do I think they're going to do? I think they're going to trade again. I really okay. do. I think they're going to take. I think they're going to take the two first round picks that they have right now, and I think they're going to wheel and deal a little bit. Um, and a lot of it's going to be predicated by what happens above them, what happens in the top ten. I mean, there are a couple of players that are in the top ten in most people's rankings that because people are going to start drafting offensive linemen because everybody needs offensive linemen. A couple of teams are going to draft quarterbacks even though there aren't any great ones yeah, this year. I hope all those teams do that. Yeah, and that's going to happen. I mean, the fact is there are some good offensive linemen to thoroughly warrant top ten selection. So there, those things are going to happen. The Eagles aren't going there. Um, there are a couple teams that will probably take quarterbacks just because they need quarterbacks. The Eagles don't have to worry about that right now. Next year maybe, but not right now. So every time one of the teams in, say, the top 11, 12, takes an offensive lineman or takes a quarterback or takes a wide receiver, uh, it's good for the Eagles because it pushes another really good defensive player further down and makes them gettable to you. Maybe they're not going to get to you at 15, probably not, but you're in a position where, okay, I'll take my 15th pick. I'll give you, in addition to that, one of my two third-round picks if you allow me to move up three or four spots and take one of these really blue-chip defensive players that, through no fault of their own, has just sort of fallen within my reach. And I kind of think that's what's going to happen. A couple names to look at are um, – would be, and I think this is unlikely, Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, the big pass rusher from Oregon. A lot of people thought he could be the number one overall pick in the draft. His stock has dropped, but I don't think it's dropped as far as some people think. But, okay, let's say he does take a tumble on draft night and he falls out of the top ten. Unlikely, but he could be a target for the Eagles. Jermaine Johnson, a player who actually started at Georgia, transferred to Florida State, um, really good player, was outstanding at the Senior Bowl. I mean, really, really went down to Mobile and helped himself tremendously. Big-time pass rush guy. Um, there's a chance that he could possibly fall out of the top ten and be within the Eagles' reach. That's a guy they could possibly go for. Or, um, and we talked about at, at length yesterday, Kyle Hamilton, who's the safety from Notre Dame. Uh, 6'4", 220 pounds. Um, a lot of people thought he was certainly going to be a top three pick. Um, but, you know, he went to the combine and he ran a little slower than people thought. People thought that he was going to be a 4 a 4-4, mid-4-4 four, four guy. He ran 4-5, which was everybody kind of said, oh, geez, that's not good. And then he went to his pro day and ran 4-7. And all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, all kinds of red flags started flying. Uh, and now, I actually kind of think Kyle Hamilton is going to fall out of the top 10. And if he, if he falls to 11, 12, given the Eagles the fact that they absolutely have to get a safety. I mean, there's no question they've got to go get a safety somewhere. And if it's not going to be the Honey Badger, if you're not going to go free agent and pay the money it's going to take to get the Honey Badger, all of a sudden, and I think they might be holding off on Matthew yeah. for that very reason. If yeah. they can, if, if 
Hamilton falls close enough that they can make the trade to jump up and get Hamilton, I kind of think that's what they're going to do. And right now, I think there's a fair chance that that could happen. Nice. Good stuff. Ray Dinger's draft report. We'll get more of that coming up. Let's get Scott in Orlando. Let's go and let's talk about the draft. What are you thinking? Well, I talked to you yesterday. I'm not going to joke. Wait, wait. You talked to us yesterday, Scott. You know the rule that we enforce, right? What is it? Well, you cut me off. I, 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 okay, my question is this. No, there's yeah, two, go ahead. Go, go, go. There's, there's four, uh, uh, four first-round draft choices, okay? So uh, my question to Ray is this. Uh, if you got four draft choices, I like being positive, so I'm hoping that uh, uh, Jalen does well, okay? Sure. But let's say he doesn't, okay? So next year we're looking at a quarterback. So do we want to, with those first two picks, pick one wide receiver and one excellent defensive player. The thinking is the wide receiver will be, uh, if he does well this year with uh, our receiving core, that would be a, a lure. I mean, that would gotcha. bring We understand the question. Scott, I just want to say something to you because I feel like we've been through yeah. this, and I don't want to be a bad guy. Yeah. You understand, like we're trying to have a rule where everybody calls once on the weekend, right? Okay. Okay. Fine. Can you live by that rule moving forward? Absolutely. You cut me off yesterday. Well, I, I don't know that I cut Ray. you off. I think I think you were on, and I think that was it. But that's the rule. Whether I cut you off or not, I I hate to be like you know, a, a traffic cop here, but it's we really try to do it so that our show doesn't become one where the callers hear the same caller, where the listeners hear the same callers every day. So there you go. I Ray, you want to answer what he had to ask you there? I I lost uh, track of it. Um, I'm not sure I remember what his question All right, was. Fine. So you know what? Then I don't care. And and he's a fine guy, but like I know he knows that rule. And we we I don't know. I don't care what other shows do. We try to do this. Oh, you know what I think it was? I think he was addressing the idea that everything I had talked about was defense, defense, defense. And he was kind of saying, should they draft a wide receiver? He was kind of saying, yeah, if we're really going to try and find out how good Jalen Hurts is this year, maybe we should think about getting him a better wide receiver early in the draft, which is very sound thinking. And a lot of it depends again, what, how the board plays out. If there's a receiver sitting there and the, and the Eagles have an opportunity to take him, Um, yeah. I mean, if, if Alave is there, you know, remember they got two first round picks now. So if they trade away number 15, along with something else, to move up to get a better defensive player, you're still sitting there with number 19. And, you know, Alave could possibly be there. I would have no problem with getting him because I think he's going to be a good receiver. Certainly an improvement over what they got. Am I correct that Scott is the one who did not like the Eagles sign the wide receiver from Indianapolis? Jeez, I can't remember. Okay. I feel like we've been through this. Anyway. Yeah, I know that we had one caller that was just absolutely over the top about Pascal and did, uh, yeah, didn't didn't want any didn't want any uh, parts yeah, again. Of and and whatever your opinion is, it is. But give it to us once a week. That's all we ask. Really, we love to talk to you. Rick in South Carolina is with us. Hi, Rick. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, my my discussion point or question is related to that segment uh, that Ray just did. So uh, the draft being a, a crapshoot, uh, you never know, right? Um, and it's not just players, how they turn out, but injuries. Um, I'm thinking, I was wondering about the idea of using the first of the two picks in the first round, uh, hopefully getting Jordan Davis. And I'm sure teams would be calling about the second first round. And the idea, uh, especially if early on the teams are, the other teams are going quarterbacks and offensive linemen, and, and we've really got a, a, a nice selection, 
trading back to the end of the first round, maybe getting someone else's end of that round and a, and a third or something like that, and uh, playing the odds, getting more players uh, in the defensive backfield, more safeties, et cetera. That, that's kind of my idea. We'll see what you, Volume. I want to see what you thought of that. Um, you know, and, and anything, Rick, anything's in play. I mean, it, it really is. And a lot of it is going to be, you know, Howie is a guy that likes to force the issue. He doesn't necessarily – he's not a guy that's going to sit back and let the draft come to him. I mean, he's going to – He's going to take the initiative and trade, and listen, he's had some success doing that. Uh, he's also had a blow up in his face. That that's the nature of that's the nature of being in that chair. I mean, every guy in the in the NFL who's been a general manager who's run the draft has had his picks that he wishes he had back. I mean, Bobby Bethard, who built the who, who built the championship Dolphins in the '70s, who helped build the um, the Redskins into the team that won Super Bowls with Joe Gibbs. I mean, he was the architect of those things. But he's also the guy, when he was general manager in San Diego, drafted Ryan Leaf. Uh, it didn't keep him from going in the Hall of Fame. It just proves that he's not infallible. Nobody is. Uh, so Howie's had his hits and he's had his misses. Um, I think sometimes you can be proactive, but sometimes you have to be reactive. And I think this is a time when Howie's going to try and straddle those two. Um, he wants to be aggressive because he's got the ammunition to be aggressive, but some of it's going to be dictated by what happens to the guys in the top six, seven, eight picks. See how that shakes out. The Eagles could get real lucky, and it really is a chance that Hamilton could fall out of the top ten. And, again, this is just, this is just pure guesswork on my mm-hmm. part. But if that happens, and I think it's, it could very well happen, that uh, he falls out of the top ten, I I, I would very, I could very well see Howie taking number fifteen and maybe that extra third round pick that they acquired, and uh, making the trade up to to get Kyle Hamilton because that right now they only have one safety and you need two to play in this league. All right, real good, good math, right? Real quickly, because <laughs> um, we're late for a break already, and I don't want our producer Dan Wilson to to start throwing stuff. No, no, no. If you Ray Dinger has the choice, you can you can have. Kyle Hamilton and lose a third-round pick. Mm-hmm. Or you can stay at 15 and get Jordan Davis. Ray Dinger, you're on the clock. Three, two, one. I really do like Jordan Davis. I like him a lot. And you're saying I can get him without giving anything away. At 15. If you can assure me that the Honey Badger is the next shoe to fall. Well, I can't assure you that i can assure you that if you're the general manager of the eagles you can certainly make a good offer and try to get him well no i mean it's in he's your power it's you, in you know, your power to waiting. do it i mean it's in your power to do it you just yeah, have to make him the offer to do it. if um if that's if if we're talking a triangular situation here now where mm-hmm. that is also in play um and i don't have to make a trade jordan davis somehow falls to 15 he's there for the taking and I can be on the other phone with the other phone up to my ear talking to the honey badger saying, okay, coming to yeah. Philadelphia. We cool with that? And I can come away from that night at the draft with both Jordan Davis and the honey badger and still have another pick at 19? I'll take that. That's your move. Okay, there you go. Good stuff. 215-592-9494. Don't forget a $50 gift card from Shy Vintage Sports to the best caller of the day. Ray, I don't think Brother Scott is going to be the one to get it today, which means it's wide open. Uh, and we're looking forward to giving that away. Jim Lynham joins us at 11 to talk Sixers basketball. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. Ray and Glenn, 94 WIP. Ray, we can get to the phones in one moment. Uh, Sixers-Raptors game four tomorrow here in town, and as well, game four 
Celtics-Nets, uh, the Celtics have won the first three last night or yesterday afternoon, 109 to 103. Big hole for Brooklyn to get out of, but Ray, mm-hmm. they've got a plan. They do, huh? Coming into the game, theoretically, tomorrow, what they say, game four, the man, Ray, who uh, I need to play. We put this right at the end of the show yesterday. Need to play it again. Who said this the other day about himself and how he's going to fit in? Just yeah. how hard is it to do that in, the, in a postseason game with that sort of attitude? We'll find out. Um, it's a good challenge, but you know, I'm looking forward to it, especially playing with these guys. Um, I think for me, my IQ is so high to you know, play with guys like Kai and, and Seth and Kev. Um, just watch them. I know how they play. I know how they want to play. All right, enough. Um, and for me, to just... Uh, Ray, mm-hmm. have you ever said uh, to anyone in public or private, you know, because my IQ is so high, this should not be a problem. <laughs> uh, no, I've never said that. You've never said that? No. And I find you to be a very intelligent man. <laughs> uh, I, don't, you know, I, I, don't, uh, I don't just walk around talking about my IQ, Frank. No? No. Oh. Do you wear orange sunglasses indoor at games? No, I don't, as a matter no. of fact. No. He does that as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I said this the other day. I don't know if I, I said I can't claim to have dated Kendall Jenner. No, no. God, no. I don't. I don't. Um, I don't have. I don't have the fleet of cars that he has. I'm so, sure. I'm so, sure. So I mean, there's there. You know, there's a lot going on. Small there's a lot. There's a lot going on with uh, with Gentle Ben there. That uh, he's got a lot of. He's got a lot of assets that I don't have. Yes. Well, there you go. Um, somebody put this up yesterday. I wish I could give credit because I don't remember who originally did. But you know who you are, and it was brilliant. If Ben Simmons actually plays in Game Four tomorrow. He could become the first player in NBA history to get eliminated from the playoffs in two consecutive games. <laughs> that would be an accomplishment. Yes, it would. I would admire that, and, Ray, I'm rooting for that. <laughs> well, I don't think you're alone. Yeah, let's get Mike and Yardley. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. Um, I have two complaints. One is that I'm really frustrated that I have to wait until Friday to get the sixth episode of Slow Horses, because that's I know. really I, it's, one of the best shows I've seen in a long time. I'm, I, listen, I'm glad you like it. Um, I recommended it because uh, I liked it, and it is so different in this day and age that when we have to wait an entire week for a show, we find that really annoying. I know. It's just awful. Uh, yeah. But my second complaint is is that just because— Hardships, Ray. Hardships. Yeah. Tell. That's my the Gary Oldman show, right? Yes. Oh yeah! Oh, he's fantastic in it. Oh, he's pretty he, fantastic in just about anything. Yeah, uh, it's 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 remarkable. And I was thinking, I was walking, and and I thought of Big Daddy Graham. Not that Gary Oldman's character is like Big Daddy, but Big Daddy would certainly appreciate that character. He would love that show. He would love it. Yeah, Big Daddy would. was a very very. Uh, he was a great TV guy. He turned me on to shows. He turned me on to The Wire originally. And he, I would have loved to, at this one, return this favor, yes. He also turned uh, you on to uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, as I recall. Yes, I think he probably did. Yeah, I mean, he loved that show. Yep. Well, it's a, it's a great program. Uh, my second complaint, though, is that although the Sixers didn't lose the game because of officiating yesterday, the officiating was awful, if you ask me. And I just try to remember how Pascal Siakam would score his baskets on many, many occasions. He'd come in, he'd throw his forearm into the chest of uh, Tobias Harris, score the basket, and get a foul. And whenever Harris did the same thing, not as flagrantly even, he always ended up getting charged with a charge and uh, a turnover. So it was just miserable. You missed the beginning of our show, didn't you, Mike? 
I did? What was that? I don't know. When I said they didn't lose this game because of officiating. And, oh, yeah, they and, didn't. And, and us whining about the officiating is the same as Nick Nurse whining about the officiating. It's the yeah, well, least yeah, of the issues. I, I don't want to whine about it, but I certainly would like to see it uh, more even for up. Guy, for a guy who uh, liked slow horses, which I admire, Ray, I think he's he's borderline on the whine. <laughs> yeah, I would. I kind of agree with that. I mean, there's the, the one thing. I mean, you, there's no disputing the stat that. For the first time in a series, Toronto shot more foul shots than the Sixers yesterday. That's you know that's that's black and white. I mean that's right there. Um, if that continues, there's going to be problems. But I think having the series come back to Philadelphia, Sixers wanting to wrap it up, I think that's going to flip. If if the yeah. six if if the Sixers shoot more foul shots than than Toronto tomorrow night, they win the game. I think simple as that. I agree, Ray, and I don't think it's. I, I think that that's what's going to happen. I don't expect to have. The, uh, the officiating be is that unbalanced. And I don't want to really whine about it, but, it, you know, I think you can mm-hmm. recognize that it, it mm-hmm. didn't seem to be uh, called the same way, depending upon. Mike, you're one of my favorite guys. You're a terrific caller. I, I'm, I'm throwing the flag here, pal. Oh, oh all right. <laughs> all right. We'll talk to you soon. There you go. I'm not having it. Not having it. No, that wasn't the difference. No, it wasn't the difference. I didn't think it was a particularly well-officiated game. Yeah, but but I, that was not the difference in the right. game. Not important. No. Bob and Del Rand wants to talk about the draft. Hey, Bob. Hey, I'm only calling once a week. You already told me I'm that guy. Oh, <laughs> you're the, the guy. I'm the Pascal guy. I love yeah. that. I love him. He's the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's tremendous. He's you you don't have to like him. You just have to only hate him once a week. But go on. What's exactly. on your mind? All right. There's, oh, yeah, I want to go, as far as the draft, um, Ray, I'm right on with that, with getting that, boy, uh, I'll tell you, if they could come away with that de- uh, the, 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 that uh, a defensive tackle from Georgia mm-hmm. and get uh, the uh, the Badger I, 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 and still keep the pick, I'd be jumping on that. Man, I'd be thrilled. I'd be celebrating. Yeah, so would I. But but um, I hope it does happen. But um, here's uh, who I think. I think they should go. D line, and they need an end rusher too as well. That's where I would go, and then um, hopefully uh, one of those gentlemen, or there's somebody really good there. Where, 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 where I would be very leery with and a little bit scared, I'm going to say, is I, I, I've been reading about Stingley, and I know everybody likes him, but he had that injury, and I know he had that big year where he was just unbelievably shut down. Yeah, his freshman year. He kind of lost. He came down a level off that injury, of what I've heard. I want that guy from the freshman year. I don't want the guy that, you know what I'm saying. It's just oh, yeah. I want that guy. No, I, but, I I agree with you, and that's why. And that's why he's, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, so what are you saying? Are, are you would take him or not? No, okay. I wouldn't. I want that guy. I want the freshman version. Unfortunately, I don't think that could possibly. It, it may happen, but not going to risk it. Let's go other direction. Yeah, no guarantee. Uh, yeah, he was as a true freshman. He was tremendous. I mean, he was. I mean, a, a true freshman on a national championship team was their best defensive player. And everybody at that time, including me, looked at this guy and said, geez, wow. I mean, I mean we're looking at a, at a guy that's going to be a, maybe the first overall pick in the draft when he comes out of college. I mean, he was, he was that good. I mean, he was covering the other team's best receiver when he was a true freshman. And then he got hurt. And then when he comes back, the injuries are only part of it. I mean, the Liz Frank thing is only – part of it the other part of it is his tape has not been that good I mean he's I mean there was that one shining moment uh and since then he's just been kind of fair you know and and now how much of that has to do with injury and how much of it maybe you start to think that maybe he really isn't as good maybe that one year was kind of an aberration um that's why 
he's one of the most hotly discussed and hotly debated players in this draft because there are some people that absolutely think that he is the real thing, that he really still can be that guy that you saw in the LSU championship team. And if he's that, then he's going to be a Pro Bowl player and a you know a star defensive back in the NFL for a long, long time. There are other people who are saying, I don't know. I mean, he hasn't been that now for a couple of years. Who's to say that he's going to get it back? So, look, he's going to be a first-round pick. He may even wind up being a, a top-ten pick. But I'm not. But the one thing I will say is he, he is not coming out with, with zero risk. I mean, gotcha. he is, he's a guy that somebody's going to take a chance on him. But trust me, in my view, they're taking a chance. 215-592-9494. Coming back with Jim Lynham, a brilliant voice on basketball. Don't forget, at noon, Paul Westhead joins us, the uh, Showtime Lakers coach, and many more things. Ray and Glenn, 94, WIP. Now 14 points for the Raptors off of 10 Sixers turns. And be tough, fade oh away, and he rattles it in because he's Joel Hans Embiid. Well, we didn't have enough of those yesterday, but uh, Kate Scott and Allah doing their best to make it work. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack, now Sunday morning on 94 WIP, and we are thrilled to be joined by a guy for whom I know Ray and I both have a ton of respect, a native of America's hometown, Havertown, Pennsylvania, local basketball legend, coach the Sixers, now a uh, pre- and post-game analyst, NBC Sports Philadelphia, Jim Lynham joins us. Jim, how are you today? What's up, fellas? How you doing? We're doing all right. A um, little worried about yesterday, not because they lost one game, but Ray and I watched that game and thought Embiid looked like he was playing tentative, like um, he was afraid to fall down. He's kind of afraid to get in traffic, ball getting knocked away, that maybe the injury is something that could impact him moving forward. Uh can you alleviate that fear in us, or is it something you saw as well? Uh, no, there's no doubt uh, that that was bothering him. I think you just I would just pick one. Uh, I refer to them as vignettes, one vignette. He got knocked to the floor, and instinctively, like his, uh, the teammates, like they often do, were going to help him up, and he extended his right arm. If you're a right-hander, picture yourself. That's what you do. You stick your right arm out. And he put his right arm out, and as they reached for him, at the last second, he pulled it back and extended his left. That speaks volumes yeah. right there. That was all. That wasn't planned or choreographed. He didn't want anybody touching that left, right thumb. Yeah, and um, you know, Doc Rivers has said, well, based on what we know to this point, uh, it can't get any worse. But that's not really the point. The point is, can it get better? You know, and you know. He's not yeah, going to. Let me just say, Ray, uh, my experience would say that's not necessarily true. I understand what Doc means in terms of like severity. If it's a sprain, it's a sprain. But the fact is, the more you get, um, come on, just use your own uh, common sense and your own experience. You, you have something like that. The more you bang it, the more more sensitive it gets. That's right. A fact. Right. And if that's the so case, think, uh, yeah, let's find out what the MRI is. But I think it's fair to say he's going to have to play, you know, with pain. And what were that I, in the obvious case where it impacts his play, you know, you're not as um, as as want to like dive into a pack in the air to try to grab a rebound that would be, let's say, slightly out of the reach of normal humans. Okay, Joel can he's tremendous at that. You know, he the things he can do because of his 
length and his athleticism and his girth, seven feet plus in size. You know, that kind of an injury, it just it kind of stifles initiative just bad. Yeah. So Ray and I kind of agreed that okay, look, they're 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 going to beat Toronto. They're a more talented team, regardless. They're coming home tomorrow. It's going to be a lot of energy. They'll win this series, but this is something that gives us concern moving forward in a year where we really would like to see them go deep into the playoffs and maybe to the finals. Um, you agree with that sentiment? I do, absolutely. Ray, yeah, if we I had think, any I thought think... that Jim was going to make us feel all as well, we're not getting it. <laughs> no, but I will say this. I'll make you feel a little better. Uh, let's assume they can win tomorrow. They do win tomorrow. Uh, they have certainly through the end of the week. They're not going to play before the weekend. That um, Atlanta-Miami series is uh, one loss, what, 2-1, uh, I guess it is. So – uh, you're not going to look to, that they're playing like a Wednesday or a Thursday game. So we will have, assuming that the MRI comes up, you know, that it is just a sprain, uh, he'll have a, a full week or almost a full week of recovery. What is your take on on Harden as we see him at this point? Uh, we know how dynamic he looked when he first joined the Sixers and how the whole team responded. And, you know, and they could pretty much do whatever they wanted to do on offense with him running the show. But, you know, last month, Jimmy's really struggled. Uh, he's really struggled shooting the ball. Uh, and uh, is, if you look at James Harden at this point, at his age, with the miles he's got on him, uh, is that kind of what we're seeing here? Or do you think he's still playing through a sore hamstring? Or is it maybe just a combination of the two? Uh, yeah, my sense would be a, a bit of a combination, Ray. Uh, but ironically, uh, let, let me say what I'm, I think my eyes are, are telling me. Um, he, he's semi-reinventing himself in front of our eyes. Uh, he's not going out there trying to get, you know, 30 to 40 points. Um, I, I think, is he still capable of that in his, in his current state, the combination of what you just said, age and maybe a little not at full health? Um, no, I don't, I don't think he's capable of that, doing that in an effective manner. And when I say effective manner, I mean shooting the James Harden shooting percentages. James Harden was one of the, at his peak, one of the great scorers that ever played this game. He was never a great shooter, good shooter, not great shooter. You know, above NBA average three-point shooter over the course of his career. So I think what's happening, he he's he just score at the level that he was back when he was in his, let's say, late 20s, he wouldn't shoot effective enough percentages to make that like a goal that, that for me to be who I can be and help my team the best. Right. But I when I say he's reinventing himself, I give him like all the credit in the world. Number one, for being good enough to do it. Guess what? Like um, you two guys are going to reinvent yourselves and turn yourselves into singers for tomorrow's show. Good luck. Correct. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly well, what we're guy, going to do. He is so good a facilitator, so good, and I never truly appreciated. I mean, I knew he, he was always among the best assist guys, but, I mean, his ability to be a, quote, floor general, run a game, and get shots for other people, please. And I'm not sure, to, you ready, that even if he could be the old James Harden, I'm not sure that that's not the best thing for this team, the mm -hmm. way he's playing. Mm -hmm. So and I would not get overly excited 
I think he's doing a tremendous job. And I think going forward, I just hope that he can shoot the three ball. His three ball in the playoffs has been pretty good. Yeah. And if he can shoot it at the level he's shooting it right now, he's going to be nothing but an asset for the Sixers. All right. Let the record reflect, by the way, that I have actually sung on a stage to an audience, and Ray Dinger has seen it. So I take that back, Glenn. I, That's I, all right. I, I want to get know. that in there. <laughs> <laughs> what Another guy who is, I think, playing very well and hopefully can continue doing that is Tobias Harris, uh, a guy who this fan base has not always been thrilled with. What are you seeing out of his game? How is it, how is it that he has become effective? Uh, yeah, I think you're on target, uh, Glenn, yes. Uh, I think he's playing with a lot of confidence because he got off to a real good start. Uh, you know, he and Maxie in those two home games, they shot lights out. It's great. I think sometimes you have to be a little careful. Uh, you guys alluded to when James Harden first came. Uh, sometimes numbers are such, and we've seen this in all sports, in a, in a short period. And if you look at them, you don't have to be a, a statistical geek. You, you know they're unsustainable. You know, the, the high-scoring teams in this league score like 114, 115. James Harden's first three games, the Sixers were averaging over 125 points. They weren't just the highest-scoring team for those nights. They by 10 points a game. So I'd say the same thing with Tobias, that he got off to such a terrific shooting start in the, in the series that those numbers weren't sustainable. But to his credit, I think he buoyed his confidence, and now – Tobias is a very good all-around player, which is one of the reasons the Sixers like him. He found other ways these last couple of games to go out. Like he's now had double-doubles. He's had at least 10 rebounds in three straight games, first time all season. So he's a very uh, assertive guy when he's going well and when his confidence is good, and, and I think that's where he is right now. You know, I was watching one of the uh, post-game shows a couple weeks ago, and uh, you were talking about Harden. And you made the point, and it was coming off a game that uh, he did not shoot the ball well uh, at all. He was really struggling. The shot was coming up short pretty much all night. And you said at a certain point, you thought that he, and the term that you used, you thought that he became passive in the game, that he he was not kind of running the offense. He was not, and he let the fact that he was, that the shot wasn't dropping, make him passive on the offensive end. And you said that he can't afford to do that. He's too good a player to do that. If if the shot's not dropping, he just has to find other ways to score as opposed to shoot. But the idea that he can just say, you know what, this isn't my night. Here's the ball. You guys go play. That they can't possibly win if he's if he is if he isn't playing like James Harden. Well, uh, yeah, I think I remember uh, the game to which you refer, uh, Ray. And uh, my point uh, with Harden, as one need only go to the Brooklyn case with Kevin Durant. Uh, we can say, uh, well, Kevin Durant had a bad game. No, Kevin Durant is getting older, and Kevin Durant is not the scorer that he was when he was in his late 20s. It's that simple. Is he still a terrific player? Yes. But if you look at his numbers, there's a certain similarity to me between Kevin Durant's play and James Harden's play. And I think it's fair to say that James Harden is doing a little bit better job of figuring it out, that I have some limitations now. They're playing me a little bit differently. It's not as easy for James Harden to drop his head and go by people. But the point that he's good enough with the way he plays, he doesn't have to necessarily blow by a guy to be able to draw defense to him 
and then in turn throw balls to teammates, whether it's a little lob to the rim to Joel or a kickout pass for a Tobias or a Maxi three. So that's what I mean when I say about being aggressive. You don't normally, in a normal situation, James would like dribble out there, you know, when he plays with the ball on the three line. And what that does, it forces the defender to come up because they're worried about his three. Well, guess what? If I were playing against James Harden with my team, I'd say, dude, you're going to have to beat me with that three. We are not coming up because we have to keep you in front of us to keep you from, number one, drawing fouls, number two, for helping your teammates. And that's essentially the way they're guarding them. So when I say be aggressive, James, even though you might not go by him, drop your head and try to go by him because they will respect you enough as you get to the lane that you'll then be able to do your thing. Ray, the man's still a coach. <laughs> I mean, it really, that's a, that's a coach talking. Last one, uh, Jim Lineman, we really appreciate your time today. Uh, there was a lot of talk after the game yesterday, and we actually got a call or two that said, you know, the problem yesterday was the officials. The officials were not calling it fairly for the Sixers. You watch these games. You've coached in this league. I'm sure you probably got a technical foul or two over the years. Was the officiating factor yesterday? Uh, I I really didn't think so. I heard some of the commentary afterwards. But, you know, we we always watch the game together. Mark Jackson is is an astute basketball guy. And there's a bevy of fans in the newsroom, as you guys know the, the makeup of that. So, uh, it's it's almost like being out in the building watching with you know a group of fans. So uh, yeah, was there chatter with respect to some calls here and there? Yes. Was that the reason they lost the game? No. Uh, Thank you. No, it's uh, I I say sometimes uh, uh, I do this as a coach and and it's sometimes it's worthwhile doing as a fan. You know, you casually look at a stat sheet and and I say this: if there's one line that is so out of whack to the other line, then like. Don't, don't try to, like, dig too deep. Like, don't overthink it. Yesterday, in terms of taking care of the ball, Toronto did a decent job. The Sixers did a poor job. Points off of turnovers. 22. The Sixers gave up 22 points when they turned the ball over. You ready? Toronto gave up three. That is for the non-math majors, a 19-point spread. Yep. Very difficult. And that's it. On the road. Yep. Jim Lynham, you're a treasure. You really are. Uh, we look forward to watching you tomorrow. You pre and post tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow will be pre and post, yes. And you guys could do me one favor. I was listening earlier. Yeah. Uh, and I heard you promo my backcourt, old backcourt coach, Paul Westhead. Yes. You'll send my regards to him. One of the best. You bet. You got it. Hey, Will do. Thanks a ton, Jim. Anytime, guys. All right, Thank be you, well. Jim. I love talking to him. Man. I just I love it, I, because he is always a coach. And you know, you ask him about Harden, and he doesn't give you a thirty second answer. No, he breaks it down as a coach would break it down. I, he's 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 brilliant and he's fun, and he's funny and he's a good guy. And he's so Philadelphia. That's you think <laughs> you think he really. Hey, man. Benedict yeah. Benedict Road in Havertown, a block away from the town tap, is where he grew up. Uh, I I love him. He's a yeah. and he and I, when working together at NBC Sports, obviously we're working different sides of the street. He's doing basketball, I'm doing football. But 
you know, whenever our paths cross in the building, the first thing Jim does, he pulls up a chair and starts, so what are the Eagles going to do? Yeah, he's great. <laughs> he really he's is. Great. I love him. All right, let's uh, get a couple callers in here. Stephen Cherry Hill is with us, wants to talk about the uh, draft and wide receivers. Is that what you want, Steve? Hey, Glenn. Hey. That's that's what we want. That's what I want. Uh, I wanted to get you guys' opinion on the uh, – we're at the 15th pick, and it's uh, the Eagles' turn to pick, and there's a board of uh, – Slew wide receivers. Uh, I want to see what Ray thought as well. Uh, you have a guy from USC. Yeah. Uh, London. Drake London. Uh, Alabama. Williamson. Uh, we have on the board. Uh, Jameson Williams, guy, yes. I'm sorry. Jameson Thank Williams. Thank you, Ray. Yeah. Uh, we have the guy from Louisville on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have the player from Ohio State. Yeah, we got a couple of Ohio State guys. And you got a Penn uh, State guy. Though, I mean, I think that. Uh, they're going to be wide receivers in play. I, I think that there's going to be, if I were to guess right now, at least five, maybe six wide receivers go in the first round because they're good. Yeah, they, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about defensive yeah. players. We've talked about edge rushers. We've talked about corners. Uh, but I think people are, are not really fully appreciating how good this wide receiver class is. And the other part of it is, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday, is the amount of money that people are paying for – free agent wide receivers or for current veteran wide receivers, if you, it, it would be to your advantage right now as an NFL team if you think a wide receiver coming out in this draft is a really good prospect to draft him and keep him under his rookie contract for a few years. Because right now the wide receiver market financially is exploding in the NFL. So to get a really good one under a rookie contract would be to your advantage. So if, if it's GM Ray and you're on the 15th pick on the clock, and you're going for the one of those listed wide receivers. Who's who's he? Who's he? Who are you choosing? Um, and why? And why? my my number my number one wide receiver is Garrett Wilson from from Ohio State. Um, uh, you know Barrett Brooks and I have kind of gone back and forth on this. He he likes the he likes the Southern Cal kid that you talked about, Drake London. Uh, he likes his size. He likes the fact that he's six five, which you know it's, that's fine. Um, I think we're into a different kind of the NFL now. I think it's not as about big receivers as much as it's about quick, twitchy receivers that can get off a press. Uh, my question about Drake London is, can he get off a press? If you want to press cover him, can he get? is he quick enough to get off that guy, release that guy, and get downfield? Yeah, maybe he can reach over top of him, but is he going to be able to get the quick release off the line of scrimmage that will get you that separation that will make it an easier throw for the quarterback? Um, I, I am not sure that London is that guy, whereas I think that Wilson and Olave, I think both of those guys are. Mm-hmm. By the way, the um, Athletic just published its kind of fine. I don't know if it's its final, but a uh, first-round mock where they had all of their people involved. Okay. And the way they did it is at pick 15, the Eagles get Jordan Davis. Okay. And at pick 19, uh, excuse me, pick 18, the Eagles get Kyle Hamilton. Wouldn't that be something? Boy, he's going to drop that far. Well, so, th- so they project that. I don't see that. I don't see that. I mean, I know that. Four, I know that four seven that he ran at his pro day. Normally, guys run faster at their pro day because they're running on their track. They're running in their building. You know, um, generally, generally your pro day is your best workout. And in Hamilton's case, it was his worst. Yeah. So um, that's the most recent test that the NFL t- people have put him through. Uh, and he did not do well. But the tape on him in his career is so good that, jeez, I can't imagine he's going to fall that far. Well, there you go. Something to watch.
Something to watch. Ray Dedinger, Glenn Mack now, 215-592-9494. Coming up, a special bonus Sunday, what we're watching. Ray Dedinger goes to the movies. Yes, I did. Always a pleasure. We'll get that and your phone calls coming up next. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. All right. Well, this week, we, uh, we, we well, yesterday for what we're watching, we uh, actually interviewed the author Jack McCallum to discuss the show on HBO, uh, the Winning Time series. And uh, as, it's, as we said earlier, we're going to have Paul Westhead on in about half an hour to do the same. But Ray Dinger went to the movies this week, so it is a special Sunday edition of what we're watching. Ray, what'd you go see? Uh, I went to see a movie called Ambulance, which um, is um, was released a couple weeks ago. I I, I approached it with a, a lot of trepidation uh, because the director Michael Bay is not exactly my favorite director. Hmm. Um, but you know, I've been you know I've been involved with my own play. I've been you know I have been really kind of in lockdown with Tommy and me for the better part of a month. Uh, you know, I've been dealing with the NFL draft for a while and I just kind of wanted to go see a movie. You know, I just kind of wanted to go to a movie theater, you know, settle in my seat with my Diet Coke and my popcorn and just watch a movie. So, so I looked at what was out there and, uh, I've always been a Jake Gyllenhaal fan. Uh, and I thought, you know what, I like Jake Gyllenhaal. And I thought, well, Michael Bay, no, I really have my doubts about him, but you know, I'm, I'm going to give, I'm going to give this one a try. And you know what? It turned out to be another another day with Michael Bay. You know, it just was. Oh yeah, it just was. And, and by that, you just mean kind of predictable action movie. Uh, yeah, I mean Michael Bay. This to, to me, the, the 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 hallmark of a Michael of Michael Bay movies are the three L's. They are long, they are loud, <laughs> and they are ludicrous. I mean, that's <laughs> that's that's, good. that's it. Uh, I mean, that's and good. and you look at his body of work. Um, you know, he did the movie Armageddon. Which most yeah. people have seen about the yeah, meteor yeah. coming to crash into the earth. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good popcorn. Movie. You know, Pearl Harbor, uh, Ooh, which that was, was I, that was a stink bomb. It was a it was a total stink bomb. Um, he made he's the guy that that made a fortune and kind of made his his reputation on the Transformer movies, which you yeah, know I, I thought not were, for me they were terrible, even though they made a, literally more than more than a billion dollars. Those yeah. those five Transformer movies. Well, he was the father of the Transformer movie. He did the 13 Hours in Benghazi movie. Uh, he made one movie that actually I thought was not bad. I mean, it was far-fetched. It, it filled the ludicrous part, and it certainly filled the loud part. But I actually thought it was pretty good. It was called The Rock, which was the movie oh, yeah, uh, yeah. with Nick Cage and, yeah. and Sean Connery. It's a very good movie. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's kind of, uh, I think that's the best of what he's done. For the most part, most of his movies are, they kind of are what they are. A lot of stuff blows up. A lot of people get killed. A lot of people shout, and you leave with a headache. And that's kind of what and that's kind of what ambulance you. is. The, the 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 story in a nutshell is that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is a uh, is a bank robber, uh, and he enlists a guy who's his adoptive sibling, who's a a, a Gulf War veteran or a, an Afghanistan veteran who's back home and is going through tough times. Doesn't have a job. Doesn't have much money. His wife needs needs major surgery, uh, and so he, against his better judgment signs on to help his brother knock over this bank. And um, and so they rob a bank and um, make off with $32 million, but they're being pursued by the police, and they are being pursued. They, what they do is they hijack an ambulance, uh, and they're racing through the streets of Los Angeles with helicopters and 
police vehicles and SWAT teams in their wake, and they're trying to they're trying to get away. They got thirty two million dollars in the ambulance with them, but they've also got the entire Los Angeles the LAPD chasing them, and they drive through a million barricades. They knock over a million fruit carts. They crash through all kinds of glass <laughs> glass walls. Um, it's you know, it's it's everything you expect in a Michael Bay, a Michael Bay movie, and it's uh, frankly kind of hard. It's just really far fetched. So it's and a two it's hour more car chase. Yeah, it's it's basically what it amounts to. It's two hours and sixteen minutes. Okay, mm. that which is another part of the problem. His movies tend to be long. This was actually I did a little research on it when I got home. This was actually the re, a remake of a of a Danish movie that was exactly the same. It was it was literally almost word for word, same mm. plot, same story. Bank robbers in a stolen ambulance, chased by the cops. They, they even called it ambulance. They used the same name. That movie was 76 minutes. Okay, they got that one done in, in an hour and 16. Michael yeah. Bay needed another full hour for all of his pyrotechnics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal is actually pretty good in this. I mean, he kind of makes this bank robber both desperate and charming, which he can kind of do. Uh, but it's in every way predictable and when you when I say that you you will leave the theater with a headache, you will leave the theater with a headache. So I I can't say I recommend it. And and frankly, and I don't know what this says long term for Michael Bay's future, but this movie opened worse than any movie he's ever done in terms of its opening week. And for what it's it's been in the theaters for two weeks now, and it really hasn't found an audience, and it's probably going to disappear pretty quickly. All right, well, there you go. I am scheduled later this week to watch a movie with my neighbor, uh, who's from India. Uh, it's an Indian movie about cricket, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know, you and I wrote the sports movie. Book yeah, and you actually had a movie. Uh, we did have a movie, an, about an Indian in movie it. about cricket in our sports movie, right? Lagan, and uh, like that movie, this movie being a Bollywood movie is three hours and twenty minutes. Mm. So, is it also a musical? Because I know the first one. I was. think they're all musicals. I think every movie from India, more or less, is at some point a musical. Huh. Yeah. Song and dance and the whole thing. So we're doing that. We went out last night, just a quick aside. On my, uh, it was my birthday, and we went out with with my neighbors. Yeah, for Ethiopian food, huh? Yes. How was it? Uh, mixed. Uh, there was one dish I really liked, and then there were a few that I had. It's like, yeah, I don't think so. Hmm. So mixed, mixed, mixed review. Okay. And I would ask, I wanted to ask you, is because you're not a you're you're a little more of a of a um, I don't want to say fussy eater than I, but your wife is a food critic and your wife is an adventurous eater. Fair to say you are not an adventurous eater. Fair? Very fair. Okay. Is there a particular ethnic food that you just, you know, you don't like? Because uh, I couldn't, I could not come up with one I don't like. I know you, I know you, I you, like, you like Indian, I know. I love Indian food. Yeah, uh, I've, I've tr- I have not had a lot of it but what i've had i'm not going to rush back i would probably i would probably say that i i like um you know i like asian food i like chinese food uh i will eat i will eat japanese food um but my wife who really does know this stuff i mean really knows the stuff uh when i said you know glenn glenn's going out for ethiopian food for his birthday and maria said oh yeah i know what that's like she said it's it it," and i said well explain it to me in terms i would understand and she (laughs) said and she said it's it's like a lot of it, what it it would look like a lot of stuff on flatbreads is yes. the way she well, described no. it. Well, no, what what it is is there's a there's a tray like the size of a pizza tray, and on that is a flat, soft, spongy bread. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, kind of a sourdough bread, 
And on that, they put a lot of small dishes. There was a little lamb dish, and then there was this vegetarian thing with collard greens, and there's like five or six different things. And you kind of tear up the bread and then dip it in the stuff and communally, all out of this one plate, eat this stuff. You, yeah, not for you. Yeah, that was I what see, that, that, that I could see you like not not you go like you know what I'll uh, just give me a diet coke. That was uh, that was the way she described it. So she was she was she was right. By the by the way, one final note before we move on from Jake Jellinoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I really do like him. I think he's a very I think he's very versatile. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went to see Maria and I went to New York to see Sunday in the Park with George. Uh, yeah, which is I think I think that's my favorite play. Really? I think that's my favorite play of all time. I mean, my okay. wife will certainly. You know, she loves Hamilton and has seen Hamilton multiple times. That's clearly far and away her number one. Sweeney Todd used to be, but Hamilton has passed that. Um, but my favorite play is Sunday in the Park with George. And seen it a couple of times, and they had a revival of it a couple of years ago in New York with Jake Gyllenhaal in the lead. And I kind of I said, I want to see this because I, I, I did not know that he could sing. And Sunday in the Park with George is, is, a, is a very demanding singing role. And because it's a Sondheim play, they are not easy songs to sing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was terrific. He was, I mean, I, was, I sat there, I was stunned at how good he was. I had no idea that he, could, that he could carry off a part like that. So the guy's really versatile. I mean, I've seen him in some movies. He and did, he can drive a getaway car. So. And, well, no, so he's, not, he's not doing much driving. Oh, he's it's the, Yeah, it's, it. it's the woman, it's the, it's the, it's the beautiful oh. uh, um, EMT. Who, uh, who does who does a lot of the driving and his uh, his uh, uh, sibling brother. is a sibling brother yeah. that uh, that also does some of the driving. Jake, all right, Jake doesn't right. Let's do take much a driving. call in here. We've wasted enough time uh, on our own peccadillos. Mike and Marlton's got a draft question. Hey, Mike. Hey, Glenn. Hey, Ray. How we doing today, guys? All right. Um. So I wanted to talk about linebackers. Mm-hmm. So John Ritchie this week kind of was talking about. Devin Lloyd, and I didn't realize how like lanky and how much of uh, a versatile linebacker he was. But Ray, my question is: Do you think it's more important to have the physical attributes, or do you think it's more important to have the knowledge and brain of a Nakobe Dean and leadership? Because I really think that people aren't um, estimating like linebackers as important as they are. Because I grew up like watching Luke Keekley and Bobby Wagner when they were in their prime. And sure. I just really think those kinds of guys are the ones that can carry defense for 10 years. And, and while a safety, a corner, or even um, a, a pass rusher is great, I just don't think it's going to have the same effect as a, a linebacker would. And I know it's a very slim chance. All right, we've got to get to your answer. Um, well, Ray, I'm going to I'm going to rephrase his question, and I and I like where he's going. But the value of linebackers, and I told you, I'm looking at this mock draft here that the Athletic put out, and they have only two linebackers going in the first round: Devin Lloyd of Utah going to the Patriots at 21, and Nicobe Dean, who I think he just mentioned, who's really regarded as a big time prospect, going with the last pick of the first round. Right. Uh, I think that uh, well, his his issue is size. His issue is size. I mean, uh, Devin Lloyd looks more the part. Devin Lloyd's 6'3 and a half, 230 pounds. Um, if the two guys walked in the room, you'd say, well, that, you know, he certainly looks more like a linebacker than N'Kobe Dean, who's 5'11 uh, and 225. I mean, N'Kobe Dean looks like Jonathan Vilma, if you remember mm-hmm. Jonathan Vilma. That's kind of what he reminds you of. Um, 
to me, I mean, the caller was talking about the, the traits that you'd look for in a linebacker. To me, I think the most valuable trait, the most important trait, and what I look for, um, he didn't mention, but I, I, it's, it's instinct. It's, uh, to me, linebacker is the most instinctive position on the field. Um, what separates the, the really good linebackers from just the kind of the average guys, from the guys who don't make it, is the ability in that, in that split second after the ball snap, getting the jump, knowing where it's going to be, knowing where you have to be, knowing how to get there quicker than the blocker can get to you. Um, that's, I mean, a lot of it is you can't measure that with a stopwatch. You can't, that's not 40 time. That's instinctive react to the play time, react to what you see time. That was actually what made Ray Lewis, Ray Lewis. I mean, Ray Lewis didn't have great size. I mean, he, he was, he was fast. He was strong, but a lot of people thought he was too small. I mean, that's why I think he got drafted 21 or 22. Um, but it wasn't the biggest guy, but, but God, his instinct was incredible. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he he could he knew exactly what the other team was going to do before they did it, uh, and that's kind of what you're looking for. And to me, those qualities in my study of both uh, Lloyd and Nakobe Dean, Nakobe Dean is way ahead of him. I mean, Lloyd has the size and he's the prototype. But if you watch him play in terms of their instinct and their ability to find the football, N'Kobe Dean's got all of that and more. Yeah, chances of the Eagles drafting a linebacker N'Kobe Dean in the first round between zero and a hundred, I'd say, are about seven. Yeah, I would. I would agree. And I, when you said that they they have the Patriots drafting Lloyd, yeah, twenty-one. See, I see, I I totally disagree with that. If okay. Bill if Bill Belichick has a choice, and between N'Kobe Dean and Lloyd, he'll take N'Kobe Dean. N'Kobe Dean, he will he will zero in on his instinct, and he'll decide that this is my player. Yeah, because he's smart. Because he's smart. Uh, Let's get Jack in Santa Barbara up here who wants to talk about the Showtime Lakers series. What are you thinking, Jack? Well, first of all, happy birthday, Prof. Thank you. Mine was this week as well. Nice. Happy birthday to you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Turning 39 is not so bad, is it? Yeah, we won't won't discuss numbers. (laughs) Um. What I wanted to, I shared this with Dan. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of, of sensationalism in that in that whole piece that they did, and at the same time, I stumbled on to Call Me Magic on Apple TV, which which is excerpts from the announcement, uh, and really done well and great interviews and a lot about his family and his mm-hmm. relationship with Cookie. Um, Looking forward so, to that. What do you think of the yeah. – uh, you, you are watching the uh, the Winning Time series, correct? I am. I what do am. you think of that? Yeah. Um, I think it's over the top, and I think you guys did a good job of, of uh, aligning who it targets. Um, it's people that – that don't know who these characters are. And, right. and with with the Apple TV piece, it tells me they all know who Magic is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, um, good job with the draft, Ray. I know you're busy with that this week, mm-hmm. and uh, it's going to get real interesting, isn't it? It's oh, going to sure. be fun. Yeah. i got to run, Jack, but thanks as always. Got to hit a break. 215-592-9494. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. Glenn and Ray on 94 WIP. 
We'll get back to the callers in, in just a moment. Ray, I had a question for you. Um, we talked a lot about Jay Wright yesterday, and, you know, he, he lost the passion. Uh, and to his credit, decided he, he didn't want to be 70%. He was going to step away. Um, is, do you think his future is television? Because, I mean, he could walk into a studio and command it right now. Oh, sure, right? sure. And he could have a gig where he works a day or two a week and as the tournament comes up would be incredibly in demand and make a lot of money and not have to break a sweat. Or do you think that like a lot of guys in coaching, and you've seen him, you've covered him, you've worked with him, that's going to come back to him, that passion, and he's going to want to get back in any way you think the NBA is a possibility for him? I would say no. Okay. No. I, I think that the first step is going to be a nice long vacation with his family. Uh, and then come back and sift through the the, the, the TV offers, you know, because that's what's the, those are the people that are going to be knocking on his door. Is I mean, every you know every TV network is going to want him, and why not? I mean, is he's accomplished, he's respected universally. Um, he's you know he's a very charismatic kind of guy, extremely well spoken, knows the game inside and out, and everybody likes him. I mean, he's the he's the per, he's the perfect TV announcer. Uh, and I think it would be, it'd be just a seamless transition mm-hmm. for him to go into broadcasting. Yeah, yeah it um, is. You know, ver- I mean, in, in a way, very Vermeil-like, you know, that uh, you know, Dick kind of walked away because he had to walk away emotionally. He just felt like he was, he was just exhausted. And he stepped right into broadcasting and was in broadcasting and was very good at it for more than a decade. And then he got the itch to get back in, and he got back in and went to St. Louis and won a Super Bowl. Um, I, I, can, I think Jay's first stop is going to be – the media, uh, broadcasting, and then maybe down the road, would he possibly get the itch to go back and coach again? I, with Vermeil, I always thought it was going to happen. I really, I really did believe that it was going to happen. Uh, I can't say that I feel that strongly about that it's going to happen for Jay, but if it does, I really do think it's college. I don't think it's the NBA. Okay, I agree with everything you just said. Brandon in Brookhaven's got some worries about the Phillies. Well, don't we all? Oh, of course I do. I was at the game yesterday, but I also think um, JT is being overlooked. I'm a little worried about him. He doesn't look like the best catcher in baseball right now, in my opinion. Uh, uh, I'd just like to hear I, what you guys think. And also, no, I, I do have a question. You do agree, too? I mean, yeah, the yeah. brought in uh, two runs. Yeah, right I know. Uh, yeah, it's been a little sloppy, um, and, you know, he's he, he's he's hitting for average. I haven't seen the power yet. Uh, was he got no. one home run maybe? Um, but, but his defense has not been the quality that we're used to. Again, the season's still young, but based on what we've seen, don't love it. But I also agree with you guys on Wheeler. I'm a little worried too, and it's maybe a nagging injury. But right. No, you I missed what Girardi a... said. Hold on, Joe Girardi said it's all oh, fine. Oh yeah, right. It's all don't <laughs> worry, not to worry. Yeah, sure. Hmm. I believe okay. everything he tells me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there right. You go, right. Yeah. Um, I have a question about your play. Um, is there any chance with all these things with streaming service and all that I'll see your play come to the silver screen? I think it will be great. I mean, um, has there been any talk about that? Is there any offers? Um, yes, there's been talk about it. Yes, there has been okay. talk about it. Um, I can't 
tell you a whole lot more than that. Um, there's a, a gentleman named Sam Katz who uh, um, is runs a company called History Making Productions. He's he's in the business of making documentary films. Uh, just within the last year, he won the Ken Burns Award for the best documentary that was made. Uh, a really good one about the bankruptcy of Detroit. Really, really good. Uh, Sam came to see Tommy and me, and when it was over, said to me, we're going to make this into a movie. Uh, and so it is underway. I mean, we're, oh, uh, nice. we, uh, when we were up in Bucks County last week, uh, Sam brought his whole film crew there and filmed uh, one whole day in the studio uh, on the stage. To, uh, so he's got the whole play on film now, and now he's just going to go out and start doing individual interviews, and I'll help so with the film research. So it's yeah, I mean it's it's in the works, but obviously getting it from where we are now to actually finding um, finding that's a network or stuff. finding somebody that'll air it that's you know that's another matter. But uh, yes, Sam wants to do it. So, he has the he has the credentials to do it, and we've already begun the process. While we're in Bucks County, we did the, we put the whole play on film. Well, we've already discussed uh, Jake Gyllenhaal during the show. I would think as uh, as Ray Dinger, that would seem to be a very natural fit. Yeah, Jake could probably do it. My wife's holding out for Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. <laughs> uh, Channing Tatum, uh, you know, Chris Hemsworth, just trying to think of who, you know. It's, it's certainly uh, being cast as Ray Dinger is going to be a role very much in demand. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think Jonah Hill's signing up for it even as we speak. <laughs> Dave in Warrington wants to talk about the thumb of the moment. What's up, Dave? Hey, Ray and Glenn. How you guys doing today? Alrighty. Hello, Dave. All right, so I'm a physical therapist, um, and I've kind of been following the Joel thumb injury pretty closely, being a Sixers fan at all, and definitely cause for concern with everything going on. So with the MRI, it kind of sounds like they already have a pretty good understanding of what it is, and there's a lot of different testing that the medical staff can do to determine before even an MRI is done. But... What the MRI is going to do is pretty much just confirm what what I think it is, just based off of where Joel was kind of grabbing the base of his thumb, like right in that PD part. Um, probably a torn uh, UCL of the thumb. So this is also called like gamekeeper's thumb or skier's thumb. And it's kind of common in basketball. I think two guys that have had this injury this year and actually had surgery for it. Um, Bam Adebayo from the Miami Heat earlier this year, and Jeremy Grant, the former prospect sixer, both of those guys had it done. Um, it's something you can play through uh, with, like, that soft cast and the splint, but when it's your shooting dominant hand, like like Jeremy Grant and Bam, they opted for surgery. Well, Bam um, missed uh, – was out four to six weeks So if, if that is, with that injury. So if you are, uh, if you are correct, it, it's – I would be concerned, and I understand. Uh, I I don't want to overstate. I'm sure you don't. That you're kind of watching from afar. Uh, when we spoke to our Cooper Doc yesterday, he speculated that was a possibility as well. Yeah, Man, it's, pl- it's playing through it would be tough. Is is the sense I got? Yeah, the only guy that I remember playing through it the last couple of years that I can remember is Kyle Lowry. The year the Raptors won it all, mm-hmm. um, but that was his left hand. So, I mean, he at least was able to push through it. Um, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, you can already tell, just like Coach Lyon was saying, I mean, he didn't want anyone really grabbing his hand to help him up. Anytime he's going to be doing anything gripping related, it's going to be fairly painful. So, 
it's just one of those things. I think he's going to be less aggressive on defense. And you guys have already said, I mean, Tobias, Tyrese, especially now with Seibel back in the fold, all these role players are going to be asked to do so much more. But, you know, Joel's a warrior. He's going to try to play through it. But how effective will he be? Uh, let's just hold our breath. Can you, yeah. shoot, can you shoot it and numb it? Is that, the kind of, is that the way you would treat it? Or does the guy just have to grit his teeth and play through it? Yeah, I mean, that's why, in my opinion, I, I was at a family party yesterday. I was telling everyone, like, listen, like, this win would be huge because they would at least have a week off. Um, you know, they would probably give him some type of injection in the, in the joint pretty much right there, in that thumb joint. It would at least help control inflammation and pain levels, and he would have a week of kind of recovery and rehab. Um, but, I mean, since they don't have that at this point, hopefully they win months tomorrow and can, uh, you know, still give him an injection to numb it up a little bit, but, you know, without that, he's just pretty much going to have to wear that kind of splint soft cast and just kind of suck it up and try to deal with the pain levels, which he kind of had to do last year with the meniscus, but this one's a little bit more concerning. Yeah. Hey, Dave, uh, interesting input. I really appreciate it. And, uh, I mean, I just want to reiterate, and I don't think Dave would disagree, that Dave is watching from the comfort of his uh, chair at home and, oh, sure. and, and kind of diagnosing, and so we don't know. But we did discuss that yesterday with Dr. Pollard from Cooper Bone and Joint, and he, he did say essentially that it could be that. And if it is that, that's, that's not great news. No. No, and it's clearly affecting him. I mean, it, was, it, was, it, was, I mean, it was, could not have been more obvious yesterday. And if that's what he's going to have to be playing with the rest of the way, then it certainly impacts their long-term, their long-term chances. Yep. Hey, coming up, we are going to talk to an NBA championship coach a tremendous college basketball coach, a Philadelphia institution. Paul Westhead is going to join us to talk of many things, uh, not the least of which is his portrayal in the uh, HBO hit show Winning Time, which, Ray, I'm guessing he doesn't love. Um, That would be my guess, but we'll find out. We'll find out. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now, approaching noon on 94 WIP. Along with Ray Dinger, I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP, and uh, I'm really excited about this guest we have on now. He's a Philadelphia guy who, well, he broke Philadelphians' hearts as coach of that great Lakers team of 1980. Uh, He first spent a decade coaching LaSalle University. He was in charge of three NBA teams and won a title in the WNBA, will always be remembered for those incredible years at Loyola Marymount. Where he made uh, that sp- took that small school to the Elite Eight with that up tempo run and gun offense that set records. Um, I listened to Paul Westfall recently on the Brian Dr. Brian McDonough show, um, and I appreciate Dr. McDonough kind of putting giving this to my attention. You can find that show on YouTube or on Facebook, and so let me bring on the legend. Paul Westhead, hey, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, it's always good to be back in the Philadelphia area. Uh, I want to start with this because this is what I heard. I was listening to that Brian McDonough show, and, and it was recorded early when this Winning Time series began on HBO. Um, and you said, you said, I'm anxious to see how I'm portrayed. Actually, you said, I can tell you one thing. As long as the series goes, it's not going to end well for me. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> But now it's, I think we're six episodes in, and um, you are a key integral character right now. So um, how do you feel about how you're being portrayed on that show? 
Well, uh, if accuracy is what uh, the goal is, uh, they've missed. But, you know, uh, probably you would say get in line with other characters, you know, like Jerry West, uh, et cetera. But, you know, uh, I've been out here in L.A. long enough to know this is showbiz. So if, if they don't portray you the way you really are and the way it really happened, then, you know, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, I just I just want to follow up on this for a moment, Ray, uh, with two things. One is I know the show's got a whole subplot in one of the episodes that uh, they have. L- you replaced uh, Jack McKinney when when he got hurt, um, and there's a, an episode where they've got Elgin Baylor basically on hold uh, it, it, to replace you because you're struggling. None of that ever happened. The team did really well; sure. never had more than a two game losing streak. Uh, but the other part that I wanted to ask you about because I think. This may have happened in a different way. When you become the interim coach after McKinney's bike accident, uh, there's a news conference, and you're nervous about the news conference on the show. And you're kind of talking, like, what do I do? And they say, well, come do what comes natural. And you start quoting Shakespeare, um, much as, you know, the, the media is looking around thinking, what is this? Did that actually happen? No. Oh, okay. I don't even think there was a press conference. But, you know, it's – funny how you get a label and I, I go back to my LaSalle days uh, uh, Joe Batori who was then the, the SID uh, had me in a front uh, picture in the uh, uh, the Sunday bulletin or in, an inquire uh, dressed as Hamlet and quoting you know to be or not to be so forever you now are the Shakespearean coach show and he Anytime, you know, there's a pause, uh, we'll let Westhead quote Shakespeare. I, I don't know that much Shakespeare, even though I was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, well, people uh, people who, who are from Philadelphia and know your history back to when it all began, when you, when you were coaching at LaSalle, uh, know that in addition to coaching the basketball team, you, you, did, you were a teacher in the English department. You did, you yeah. did teach English, uh, and you... You know, and you did have a facility with Shakespeare. You were able to do that. So that isn't totally made up of whole cloth. I mean, that really did happen. But I I didn't think that you rolled it out at your first press conference. No, I didn't roll it out. And uh, <laughs> I mean, the way they picture me, like I'm walking around as a, kind of someone in another world who is always talking to himself, and it's usually a line from Shakespeare or Lord Byron or, or Robert Frost or something like, but, but not about basketball and strategy. So uh, strategy seemed to be last on my list of uh, things that I did. Uh, the actor portraying you is a guy named Jason Siegel. Did he, did he ever consult you along the way? And in watching him, is there any time you ever thought like, oh, yeah, he's got me or he doesn't have me? Yeah, I mean... I know of Jason Siegel. I mean, he's a good actor. You know, some people said, hey, Jason's going to do you. I said, hey, that, that, that'd be good. Uh, and how about Jennifer Lawrence as my wife or something? But, you know, <laughs> that, that, that never happened either. But uh, he's following the role that they're, you know, going out to him. And I think yeah. he does a good job of acting. But, you know, I'm looking at this person. And I'm saying that that is a caricature of me that – it's not me for better or for worse, but, you know, uh, as I said earlier, get in line because I think there's a number of people in the uh, 
winning time series that would say, hey, that's not really me. Paul, when um, did you read the uh, the Jeff Perlman book when that came out? Uh, we were talking. We had Jack McCallum on yesterday talking about this, uh, and this is adapted loosely on Jeff Perlman's book, which which I actually thought was a was a pretty good book. Uh, and obviously, the, the the guys who are making it into the movie have taken enormous liberties with that. Uh, but I mean, did you read the original book, the subject matter that they made the film from? I did, and I thought Perlman. Uh... <clears throat> Uh, as uh, an attempt to write, you know, accurate history, did a credible job. Yes. I mean, you know, he missed on a couple of things, but, you know, you're going to miss on uh, a few items and twists and turns. But, yeah, I thought Franklin did a great job. But when you say they uh, are following the book loosely, uh, I would put an emphasis on the loosely part. <laughs> uh, you know, they, you know, I, I'm – I am the last person who would defend this this series, but they're just looking to garnish audience, and yeah. I don't think they really care, you know, if uh, the principals, myself, Kareem, Magic, Jerry Bussegrant, stand up in line and say, "Very good, very accurate." <laughs> That's not, I don't think that was their goal. No, I don't either. And I'll kind of close on that because we have other things we want to talk to you about um, with. There are those, uh, Jerry West probably at the top of the list, Kareem, who really, you know, would seem to have a real beef with how they're portrayed uh, because it's more damaging. But I'll just, I'll ask this. There's another episode I think drops tonight, uh, and then we'll move on to something else. You going to watch? Yeah, I'll watch. Yeah, and and just to put a closure to this, there's no way that Pat Riley grabbed me and put me in the shower. And, oh, that's and yeah. turned the yeah. shower on and said, "Grow up and be a man." Didn't happen, huh? <laughs> no, but okay. but you know, I mean, uh, if you didn't know the two people, you'd say, "Well, that's an interesting scenario." <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess you're probably aware that uh, that Jerry West uh, is actually thinking about taking legal action against against Adam McKay, who produced, who wrote and produced this, and the film company that uh, the jury is so outraged by this that he's actually taking he's actually taking legal steps uh, after, uh, going after the film company. It, it doesn't sound like you're prepared to do that. No, I wouldn't do that. I mean, uh, as I say, I, I, can, I know what happened. I know what I did with my career there, and uh, I'm happy for the, the, the good times, especially winning a championship in my hometown of Philadelphia. But other than that, you know, uh, it's, it's just the way people want to portray you. Then, you know, you have to live with that. Um, Paul Westhead is our guest. He does have that NBA championship ring. He coached the Lakers. Um, and it, it I mean, we all kind of know it ended, I guess, when the relationship with Magic went sour. But I heard again on that Brian McDonough podcast that, uh, some of those relationships certainly are good, and that you went to Kareem's seventy-fifth birthday party. Um, that had to be a pretty interesting uh, party. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I went there. That's now been about two weeks ago. That was the last home game of the of the Lakers, um, and they they did a very nice job. They had a couple hundred people of his friends and family. Uh, a lot of the players were there. Uh, Michael Cooper, Norm Nixon, uh, Byron Scott. Uh, had an interesting comment with Byron Scott. I said, hey, Byron, uh, you'd have been a great 
shooter for me uh, if I ever coached you. And he laughed. He said, Coach, I'm sorry I got there too late. You know, I'd been fired by then. And I also ran into, uh, and he gave me a big hug, was Spencer Haywood, who back when I coached him uh, really didn't like me. Uh, yeah, well, well, that comes know. out in the show, certainly. Yeah, I didn't see that part yet, but uh, oh, that, I'm sorry. I, I saw some of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's okay. Yeah, but he uh, he was he couldn't have been nicer. He, he's 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 a good man now, and he's he's straightforward and. Uh, it was fun just to sit around in a, in a table with the uh, uh, Nixon and, and Haywood and, and Cooper uh, and Jamal Wilkes. So yeah, it was, in, and then the, to just host and greet Kareem was uh, spectacular. Kareem is uh, 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 has turned into a fine ambassador for, for 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 the world, really, and for the the, the community. I have to take you back to that night at the Spectrum when you win the championship, when you're coming back. The series comes back to Philadelphia, as you said, your hometown, where you played, uh, and you're the coach of the Lakers, and Kareem hasn't even made the trip. He's still back in Los Angeles, and we all get to the arena to cover the game, and we find out that uh, Kareem is not going to be available, and you are going to play the game with the – with Magic Johnson, the rookie, uh, jump, literally jumping center <laughs> against the Sixers. Um, what, when you think back on that night, um, what are your strongest memories of that night, Paul? Because I know, I know what it must have meant to you personally to actually win, be a head coach winning an NBA championship, but to do it in your hometown and do it under those circumstances, right. people will forever. I mean, Magic accomplished so many things in his career, great, great things, all-time great things. But, I mean, it could very well be the thing he's remembered for best was that game at the Spectrum that night. Yeah, a number of things come come at me. Uh, one is we had just the shoot-around to pre- prepare for this, and uh, you know, that's when I said to the team and to Magic, you're going to jump center, Irvin. And he said, yeah, okay, no problem. He said, I, you know, I was a center in high school a year ago, so uh, I can do that. And then when we broke the team huddle to go out to, uh, for the opening tip, Jim Jones like stepped forward and said, "Coach, you want me to jump center, right?" Because Jim was like seven footer. I said, "No, no, no. We're, we're going to have magic, you know." And I didn't go into a long uh, discussion like this is to be symbolic, like we're going to try and scare them or confuse them. But anyway, Magic went out and jumped and. The rest is history. He played center, forward, point guard. He did, you know, everything. And you know, forty-two points, and uh, uh, we we win. And and the irony of the win is is, is clear. Uh, less than a year ago, I'm at LaSalle College, struggling. You know, um, barely got my head above water, and now here I am with this team. Uh, you know, winning a, an NBA championship in my hometown. Uh, so it was, it was very exciting for me and the team. It was pretty special. Uh, I want to move forward um, to another part of your life that uh, people here and people nationally really know about. Uh, and it was when you're at Loyola Marymount, and you got Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball, and you've got this offensive system that's scoring in a college basketball game, 120, 130, 140 points. It was amazing. You take that little school to the Elite Eight. I th- LSU is the team that you upset big time? Is my memory right on that? Uh, Michigan, who was the current uh, NCAA yeah. champion. Okay, yeah. Michigan. 
Um, it was it was an amazing system, and I I wouldn't think that everybody would do it, but I would think along the way others would try to do it. Was it that you just had the right talent and guys to do it, or why do you think it hasn't been um, copied, emulated? Yeah, well, you know, I tried it a number of times, and if you look at my career, I had 20-some jobs, and I got fired in about 14 of them. So uh, a lot of the times, it doesn't work. And to just segue from the Lakers, uh, that was part of the reason why I got fired. I was trying to put my fast break concepts in, and I met resistance. It wouldn't be for the first or last time. But at LMU, I had just a group of young men, uh, principally uh, Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball, who were just hungry to show that they could play and be great players. And they just joined in, and once they bought in, then we went fast to faster to faster, like there was no stopping them. Yeah. Going back, we had we – had, um... Glenn and I have been doing a series for the last two years called Tell Us Your Story, where we bring a guest on and we do a one-hour sort of deep-dive interview discussion of his life. And one of the and one of the guys that we had on about a year ago was Bo Kimball, uh, and we talked a lot about that team and about that experience and obviously about the Hank Gathers tragedy. Um, and Bo said people still talk to him today about that team and about when you got to the tournament that he shot his first foul shot left-handed as a tribute to yep. Hank. I mean, that stuff lives on. But for you in the moment, I mean, after Hank collapses and literally dies in front of his teammates on the basketball court, how do you as the coach pull that whole thing together? I mean, how do you, you, know, how do you as a coach – manage to rally these young men and get them focused back on basketball and continue the run that you had the rest of that season? I mean, no coaches – I can't imagine another coach could ever been put in that same position. How do you respond to it, and how are you able to pull it off? Well, uh, I, with a lot of help, I mean, and, you know, as normal, uh, you usually wind up doing win or lose or play or not play – uh, it's usually dependent on your personnel and on your team. And, you know, after the uh, the tragic death of Hank Gathers uh, and uh, Memorial at LMU, and then the team all went back for the actual funeral in North Philadelphia, they came back and, you know, I thought, you know, this is it. And they said to me, you know, we want to play. We want to do this uh for ourselves and we want to do it for Hank. So, uh, you know, I just kind of gave them the facility. I just said, well, okay, if you want to do it, let's go. And I, I have to say to you, they, they played a series of games then way above their ability level and way above my system. I mean, we could score a hundred points easy, but they were doing things that were spectacular. Uh, Bo Kimball's left-handed free throw, Hank, uh, uh, Jeff Fryer shooting, making 11 threes uh, against Michigan, which is still, I think, an NCAA record. And over and over and over again, they, they were just not going to be stopped. Uh, by the way, your story, uh, as we noted, starts here. And uh, we had earlier on the show, we had Jim Lynham as a guest, and he, he told us to make sure that 
we pass along his yes. his good wishes. Kid, kid line them. <laughs> kid line them. Yeah, that's it. Um, anyway, um, your story, you know, early on is at LaSalle, and LaSalle's gone through a lot in recent years, and the program's been in some jeopardy. Uh, and Fran Dunphy uh, recently decided to come out of retirement and take the reins there. Ray and I kind of think he's doing it basically to, you know, to, to keep to keep the program going. What's What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I, I've known Fran for many years now, uh, way back in uh, in Delaware County. We all, in the Drexel Hill area, we all kind of grew up together, went to the same swim club and played hoops together. And so, I, and I've been a fan of Fran's from a distance, uh, his temple years, et cetera. Uh, I, I think he has to have a desire to coach, but I think he also has a desire, as you said, to to step up and say, uh, I can keep this LaSalle tradition going, and I'm the guy to, to, to hold the fort. So I uh, I, I praise him and I, for, for both reasons, and I just hope that he can get players to win games. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be the hardest part is, is recruiting the kinds of players uh, that are necessary to win in today's college basketball because – you know, it's, it's, it's a tough recruiting job, LaSalle. I mean, you know, you know it. You, you coached yep. there a long time. Um, all colleges, are, they, they've got these wonderful facilities. They've got these beautiful campuses. And, you know, you take a kid to LaSalle and you've got um, Heyman Hall and you've got Omni Avenue. And it's, uh, you know, that's a, tough, that's a tough recruiting job. And that's ultimately what's going to decide it. But, you know, Fran is, uh, I, you know, I, I know what you said is true. Of Fran's, that there is no better people than Fran. And, won more games than any coach in the history of the Big Five. If anybody can do it, Fran can do it, but it's a it's a steep challenge. I The one thing I wanted to ask you, Paul, was, you know, the city of Philadelphia is still reeling from the announcement of Jay Wright this week uh, that right. he calls the press conference and just, you know, says, that's it, I'm done, I'm 60 years old, um, I, I just can't do it anymore. I just, you know, I, I can't give the 100%. Uh, I, I've kind of lost the edge uh, and walks away. And everybody's still trying to make sense of that. Um, but I, what, I'm just going to ask you, as a guy who's certainly coached on all sides of basketball at all levels, how surprised were you? And what does that kind of say about what the coaching profession is today and the toll that it takes on the guys who do it? Yeah, I, I was kind of shocked. I mean, I'm, I'm not that close to see the day-to-day activity, but, you know, uh, I've always been an admirer of Jay Wright. Uh, he's He's done an incredible job at Villanova. Uh, spectacular gentleman. Uh, so I, there are all kinds of pluses about him. And and maybe that's the ultimate plus. Uh, I think it was uh, uh, Bruce Springsteen who said, always leave the stage with them applauding. And he, he left with everyone applauding. Uh, in contrast, I always left the stage being run out the back door like they, <laughs> they, they were chasing me and they fired me. So uh, he, in many ways, has done it the right way. Uh, he, he stepped out as a very successful, uh, ultra-successful uh, college coach. Uh, so uh, more power to him. Well, I got to tell you, Paul Westout, I think you're too modest. And um, as, as inaccurate as winning time may be, uh, I will say that it is a very fun watch. It's a popcorn show. And my hunch is, if I watch it tonight, things are going to start going well for Paul Westhead. <laughs> I, th- I think we're kind of at that yeah, point, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, but but remember, as I said on the Brian McDonough show, uh, ultimately <laughs> it's not going to turn out well because ultimately <laughs> I'm going to get the axe uh, and and get fired if if the show goes that long. Maybe, yeah. maybe they won't go that far. I think I I think the show ends at the spectrum with confetti coming down upon you. But we, <laughs> oh, we shall see. Yeah, I'm happy. Yeah, uh, right. and it's funny. You know, uh, my wife came to that game. She flew in. She sat in the stands with. Uh, she had a ticket by herself, but she gave away all the other tickets we could get. And she's surrounded by Philly fans, and they're you know typical yelling for Dr. J and etc. But about a minute to go, she's jumping up and cheering, and they realize who she is. And about 20 of them stand up and applaud her. So uh, everyone talks bad about the Philly fans, but not that night. It's a great story. That's good. Wonder, wonder if that'll show up on this thing. I'm thinking not. I'm I thinking it. not. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Paul Westhead, thanks a ton. It's really been our pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, Paul. Be well. Well, there you go. Thank you. Great guy. Yeah, very nice fellow. I uh, I, I was back at the newspaper then, and I uh, – you know, I I interviewed Paul a few times and obviously covered that championship series when they did win. Um, and that is still one of the most amazing nights I ever spent at the Spectrum. Just watching just watching Magic Johnson do what he did that night was yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. that was the that was the birth of the legend. You know, it really was. And for all the things he accomplished in the rest of his career and there and there were many. You know, that's when people talk, tell the Magic Johnson story, they always kind of start with that game. Remember the game that he played center and they won the championship? It was incredible. It really well, was. Ray, can I uh, get you back to watching the Winning Time show? I mean, you you know, he, he's he's not upset about it. You know <laughs> well, he's, he's pretty he's not, gracious. Not exactly it. thrilled with it either. No, nah, but he was gracious, you know, taking it all right. <laughs> I think what he said is, hey, there's a lot of people who probably have a bigger gripe than I do. Yes. Which yeah. is true. If you're Jerry West... Or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, in my mind, or maybe Jerry Buss. Right. You probably have a little more reason to say, uh, "Excuse me, that's not me." But if if you're Paul Westhead, he's he kind of runs around like a scared chicken through most of the first few episodes. Yeah, that's sort uh, of how just it kind of getting his footing. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You're not watching. It's on tonight, right? Uh no, no. It's okay. it's it's junk. It's it's junk. I'll, I'll, I have better things to do with my time. But I thought that. You know, Paul kind of, I think, put it in its proper context. Said, Look, I've lived in Los Angeles long enough. I know how Hollywood works. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they're they going to give their representation of yeah. how they want to tell the story. And if you're one of the characters, you have no no input. They're going to do sure. what they want to do. So you just I, kind of I shrug and say that. it is what it is. All right, let's hit a break here. 215-592-9494. We'll get your calls in the next segment. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Hauser sets up on the first base side of the rubber. He looks back at second. And now kicks and deals, and the pitch is punched down the right field line. That's going to be in there for a base hit and roll to the corner. In to score is Harper. Castellanos in at second. He's got an RBI double, and it's one to nothing, Phillies. Well, he's doing his part, Ray. Castellanos has been uh, been a, a nice addition so far. Let me just look at his stats here. 321, 952 OPS. Yep. Eight extra base hits in 15 games. He's doing okay. Uh, you know, Schwarber was, was, got the, first, the home run on his first at bat and then slump, but he's, he's not only sitting 164. <laughs> but he's got the four home runs, and he's got nine RBIs. The, the hitting 
is not great for average. Uh, they're hitting 258. You know what? In this day and age, that's actually not bad. Um, but the hitting has not been the issue. I guess the 498. It has, it has been off and on. I mean, well, I mean, you know what? You're right. Yeah, you're they've, right. Had, they've had some games where they just haven't hit at all. You're right. It's been hot and cold, and right. you don't want it to be hot and cold. I, I don't disagree with you. Um, the 498 ERA from your pitching staff to me is the bigger concern. Yeah, yeah. That's that was one of my sort of hey, wait a minute, sort of pauses before the start of the season. I mean, I, I looked at the lineup and I said, yeah, they're they're going to score runs. I mean, they've, they've got. A lot of proven professional hitters in there that uh, that are going to score runs. I just didn't believe in the pitching. I really yeah. didn't, especially with the concerns that I had about Wheeler. I mean, they were kind of dismissing, "Oh, he'll be fine. Don't worry about it." Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm I I worried about it, and uh, you know, here we are a month into the season, and I'm still worried about it. And I still don't really believe in the bullpen. So, um, I mean, I to me, it's well. I mean, the defense. You not is believe a, in? I believe in Knievel. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly better in the ninth inning than anything you've had lately. But you know nobody's getting you close to the ninth inning. You're still got to trust these, you know, these other Jamokes in, in innings six, seven, and eight. And they're, you know, they're they're uh, more than capable of uh, losing let's, games. Let's, let's review those said Jamokes, okay? Okay. All right. I like Knievel. I I like Sir Anthony. He got smacked around once, but I think he's good. I'm I'm watching him, and I'm thinking he's got it. Um, Brad Hand so far, and he's you know they they bring him in for three hitters these days, right? But they don't, you know, he's but he's been okay. Alvarado, I couldn't stand watching last year, and it still drives me crazy. And a guy they got that I think maybe cooked is Familia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, and, I didn't. And then, I, yeah. and then it's a bunch of you know scrap heaps. Yeah, I mean Alvarado is um, he throws hard, but he's got no command. I mean you never, never know. You know, I mean you never know what you're going to get with him. And and Familia had like a couple of moments, a couple of years where he was pretty good. But not lately, and I certainly didn't. Play. I mean, it's just been kind of what the bullpen has been now for the last few years is just kind of recycling a bunch of these guys that have had some success somewhere along the line, and you're just hoping that they'll be able to find it again here. But it rarely works that way. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, the, the the pitching to me has always been an issue with this team. I never really believed in it. And, um, you know, the offense, again, I think the offense over the course of the season will be good. I just don't, th- I just don't know if the pitching is good enough to 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 get them where you want to go, yeah. Defense has not hurt them yet, but it will. Oh sure, it will. The corner butchers, a nickname you you invented, which is one of the great nicknames of our era, uh, will uh, they will be open for business? Yeah, and my remember my, my the, the the label that I put on the season can't catch twenty two. That's that's the name of this team. Oh, okay, <laughs> I'll file that one away for future use. Uh, let's talk to Joe in Hi, Joe. What are you thinking? Hello, gentlemen. Hey. Um, I, uh, I, I like you. I, I'd like to see the uh, Eagles go for defense, but you have me intrigued when you talked about the Ohio State receivers because I'm an Ohio State grad. Okay. Uh, one, I've, I've always sort of thought that Olave was just so polished that he would be the guy that would do better in the pros, but it seems as though Garrett Wilson's getting higher praise. How come? Um, scouts like him better, it seems like. Um, he's just – you're, you're right about Olave being very, very smooth. I mean, if you like good footwork, I mean, if that's, if that's kind of what you're looking for in receivers, um, Olave has, has just tremendous footwork. I mean, really knows how to run a pattern, really was able to work the sidelines, um, has a really good ability to make defenders and tacklers miss in the open field. Um, 
I just see him as being a little vulnerable to press coverage, which is one of the things he's going to have to prove that he can deal with in the NFL, whereas Wilson doesn't seem to be able to have any problem getting a release at the line of scrimmage. And uh, I, I thought that, you know, a couple of years ago he had a problem with drops. You know, he dropped some catchable balls more than you would like. But I thought last year he really improved in that area and pretty much caught everything. So, you know, I think that's – I, I don't think there's much difference between the two, to be honest with you. I think they're both, to me, worthy first-round picks. And if, But if I had the opportunity to take one, I would probably favor Wilson than over Olave, but I could certainly live with either one. Bill in South Philly's got a draft question. Hi, Bill. Hey, uh, Ray. I used to do uh, some videography stuff and for, for you know, some uh, contractors, and I noticed – like a school like Cincinnati has some great athletes. What do you think about Alex Pierce as a wide receiver that the Eagles could pick up as a sleeper in the second or third round? And it seems like schools like Cincinnati in college football are coming up and up and they're getting uh, – like the Eagles have, you know, the Eagles have done well. In, yeah, the Eagles have Kelsey. done well uh, with Cincinnati players over the years. That's uh, true. They have most certainly the center, who's going to be a Hall of Famer for this franchise. Yeah, and a ton. they got a pretty good tight end out of there mm-hmm. in Brent Selleck not that long before that. So yeah, there's um, there is that. Um, the guy he mentioned mean anything? Yeah, to Alec you? Pierce. Yeah, I know who he is. Um, he's he's got size. I mean, he's six three. He's probably two ten, maybe two fifteen. Uh, and runs and runs it pretty good. I mean, you look at him and you would think he wouldn't be real fast, but he's he's a legit four four guy. Um, he's I've seen some people talk about him possibly being a late first rounder. I think that's a little high. I think that he's, but I, I fully expect him to go in the second round. I mean, he's I mean he's that he's that good a prospect. If you're, it kind of is a matter of your taste, what you're looking for in your offense. If you want like a small, quick. Um, super deep threat kind of guy he's really not what you're looking for if you value a guy that you think you you like a little size a guy to be good in the red zone you know a guy that can go wrestle a ball away from a defender that kind of receiver you know kind of a big body receiver then pierce is more he's more your spot he's more your speed um he's not the niftiest guy and he's not going to get you a ton of yards after the catch but um he's he's certainly got the hands and he's certainly got the game i i would right now i would i think my grade on him is probably mid-second round, and that's probably just about right. Well, Ray, this uh, is a good lead-in because we did one batch of your sleepers last week, but maybe, as we are now oof, four days from the draft, right? time for some Ray Dinger sleepers. Okay. Let I didn't see. have the musical accompaniment here. The, the, oh, okay. The that's awesome. oh, there there we you go. go. There we go. Good work, Dan. Thanks. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, every year I think people who follow the show know that I do – uh, I do my sleepers. I I usually pick five. Sometimes I throw a bonus guy in there, but I usually try to get five. And this goes back, boy, it goes back years and years. I've been doing this so long. My first, I looked it up this week. My first group of sleepers, this is how far back it goes. My first group of sleepers, Pat Tillman was one of them. Okay, so wow. that, that's how far back, that's how far back it goes. I really, in fact, it kind of started with him, to be honest with you. I saw him play at Arizona State, and, and I saw him playing linebacker, and I thought, Here's a guy that's really a great football player, but he's does. I mean, he's not going to be. Um, he he's not the prototype for the NFL, but he's a guy somebody's going to draft and he's going to turn into a really good player. 
uh, if they put him in the right position. And Pat Tillman came to the NFL. They made him a safety, uh, and he turned out to be a great safety. And so that's kind of where the whole sleeper thing kind of began. So a couple weeks ago, I started off by giving you – I did pick five this year. I gave you the two defensive players. I gave you Malcolm Rodriguez, who's a linebacker from Oklahoma State, uh, and I gave you Quinton Lake uh, from UCLA, who's the son of Carnell Lake. So I have three players left, and they're all offense. Okay, so I will give them to you right now. Um, This is a guy I've mentioned before, Glenn, but he's one of my sleepers. It's Daniel Falale, the uh, big offensive tackle, and I mean big offensive tackle from the University of Minnesota. He's six feet a eight, Hawaiian kid, or what? six feet eight, three ninety. Um, no, he's he's Australian. He's oh, he is the new. Uh, we can get a new Australian offense, huge offensive lineman with is, a fun name, right? Oh, he he is the uh, the new Jordan Mailata. Oh, I'm so please, uh, Ray. I I wouldn't give up my punter for him, but I'm enticed. Well, I, you and well, you should be. He's uh, um, as I said, he's six eight. He's three hundred ninety pounds. He's actually bigger than Jordan Mailata. Three hundred ninety. Uh, that's what he played. That's what he played at at Minnesota. I actually kind of think he needs to lose a little bit. He's I think two he was players. I, I think he was a little oversized at Minnesota. It wouldn't hurt him if he if he got if he dropped about twenty, which he certainly could do. Um, but he's got he's almost exactly the, the Jordan Mailata profile. I mean, he's Australian, grew up playing rugby, came to football late. Uh, actually, did play in college, which was more than Mailata did. Played pretty well and enough to get mentioned all Big Ten mention at Minnesota. You know, very rough around the edges, certainly needs a lot of work. Um, but he's already been quoted as saying Jordan Mailata is his idol, uh, that he wants to follow his path to the NFL. Uh, and to me, I would love to see the Eagles draft this guy. Draft him with a, you know, fourth or fifth round pick. Bring him here. He's not ready to play right now. Uh, and I'll, I'll, we, got a, we got a line right now. I will admit this. But, you know, at some point, you know, maybe a year or two years down the road, Lane Johnson's going to be moving on. Yeah. And maybe with two years of work, um, maybe Coach Jeff Stoutland can do work Love the it. same kind of miracles with him that he did with Jordan Mailata, and you will have those two guys as your tackles for the future. Give me his name future. one more time for those. Da- uh, Daniel Falale, F-A-A-L-E-L-E. Okay. So he's one of my other sleepers. Another one is a guy I've met, again, another guy I've mentioned before who's a wide receiver named Christian Watson from North Dakota State. Uh, smaller school, but very productive in college. He's got size. He's 6'4", but he runs it really well. He's, he he's plays at about 210. He's so fast that he actually returned kicks for North Dakota State. I doubt that he'll do that in the NFL, but he's got that kind of speed uh, and catches the ball extremely well. I mean, that was what really impressed me when I saw him at Mobile, when I saw him at the Senior Bowl. You know, stepping up into that level of competition where at the scene, look, at North Dakota State, he didn't get covered by great cover people. I can understand that. And so some of that footage you look at and you say, well, you know, these defensive backs aren't that good. He's got a big advantage. When he went to the senior bowl, he was being covered by the best. He was being covered by the D1 guys. He was covered by the SEC guys. And guess what? He still got open. So I believe this guy is legit. Some people are saying that he might be a first-round pick. I still think that's a little bit high. He more likely to me is going to be a second-round pick. But if the Eagles haven't addressed wide receiver in the first round and he's on the board when the Eagles come to bat in the second round, I would jump all over Christian Watson. And my last pick is uh, I don't often go quarterback, but I'm going to go quarterback here. Uh, and I'm going, to take, I'm going to tell you about E.J. Perry, who's a quarterback from Brown University, um, who's 6'2", 210 pounds. Uh, I had heard good things about him during the year. Uh, he was picked to play in the East-West Shrine game. So I actually watched the East-West Shrine game to just kind of see what this guy was all about. 
uh, and I was really impressed. Uh, he passed for 241 yards and three touchdowns in at one half of play. He was the MVP in the game. Uh, and I know people look at Ivy League quarterbacks and they say, uh, no, no thanks. Um, hey, Ryan Fitzpatrick, baby. Well, he's the only one. Uh, and Jay Fiedler, that's Jeff about Kemp. it in the terms of. Eagle Jeff Kemp. And Jeff Kemp, of quarterbacks that came from the Ivies and came to the NFL and played. Um, but I think this guy, look, I'm not talking about him stepping in and being a, a starter in his first year. And I'm not talking about this guy being a franchise changer. Uh, but I do believe that he has the ability to make an NFL roster and, and maybe develop into a competent backup quarterback. I mean, what I saw in the East-West Shrine game, he has the arm. He's got pretty good mobility and seems to have a pretty good understanding of the game. So those are my five sleepers this year. I will r- run them back very quickly. E.J. Perry, quarterback from Brown. Uh, Daniel Falale, the massive offensive tackle from Minnesota. Uh, Christian Watson, wide receiver from North Dakota State. And my two defensive players, Malcolm Rodriguez, linebacker from Oklahoma State, and Christian and Quinton Lake, the safety uh, from UCLA. I would guess our friend Ross Tucker has got to be big on the Ivy League quarterback. Oh, I'm sure he is. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he would be, yeah. Princeton he's actually man. pretty good. He's, he's actually pretty good. Ray, you and I are doing the show together Saturday, mm-hmm. which is day three of the draft. Yeah. We do rounds four to six. Mm-hmm. And I think they start at noon, which means we'll have a one-hour overlap. Mm-hmm. I would be – it would make my year if two things happened during that. Mm-hmm. The Eagles draft Matt – I always say his name wrong. Arias, the punter from South Dakota State. Uh, right. And in the next round, the Eagles draft Daniel Falale. Mm-hmm. That those two things would I would I would jump for joy, right? Well, uh, I I would too. I mean, they need a punter, uh, right. and uh, and he's and he's, and this kid's really good. Um, and one thing I would say about Falale is he's very intriguing, especially with the success that you've had with Mylotta. Um, right now, he's not as nifty. Uh, he's not quite the athlete that uh, Milata is. I mean, the thing that makes Milata so great is that for all of his size and his strength, he's very nimble. He's very, he's actually almost graceful in the way he moves around. Um, Falale is a little bit more lumbering. <laughs> I mean, he, he kind of moves more like you would expect a 380-pound man to move. But uh, I, I think, know that I've seen but, there's a lot, but there's a lot there. A good coach can really take this kid and mold him into something where I mean, he could definitely be a right tackle in the NFL. Not this year. I mean, he needs some work, and I'll say that right up front. But uh, I think he's a guy that a good coach can turn into a capable offensive lineman. And he already has the history. He already – I mean, Jordan Mailata is his idol. So what could be better than bring him in here, give him the locker next to Jordan Mailata, and sort of follow in his massive footsteps? Well, and what you mentioned good coach. If there's anybody I trust to develop raw talent, it's Jeff Stoutland. Yep, yep. He is, uh, he's, he's very good at it. He really is. And uh, this guy, like, it's probably a year or two, but that's kind of what they did with Mylotta. I mean, it was, it was year three yeah. before they actually asked him to play. And by then, Jeff had him ready to play. I think this guy is very, is very much on a, similar, on a similar trajectory. Getting excited about the draft. Ray, I'm getting excited about the draft. I'm looking at rounds five and six as opposed to. <laughs> they, have two, they have two picks in the teens, and I'm thinking, like, well, they'll get the punter. They'll get this guy. I'm, I'm excited about this. Well, they got three picks in the fifth round. They got, I know. They got multiple multiples there. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, they'll be very active on day three. Defense, defense, defense. All right, when we get back, we'll take a call or two at 215-592-9494. Our expert producer, Dan Wilson, is going to tell us things that we forgot to talk about. We'll give away the gift card to Shy Vintage Sports. All of that next on 94 WIP. 
Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. Sixers, Raptors tomorrow. Ray, they wrap that up, right? Yeah, I would think so. I think so. I would kind of expect, I would kind of expect it to be over tomorrow night and uh, then get a little bit of rest because, you know, it, it does help the Sixers if this Atlanta-Miami thing goes back and forth with the two teams beating each other up um, and wear each other down and – Sixers can get a little bit of rest and be the fresh team going into the next round. That would certainly be to their advantage. If it turns into a seven-game series and the Sixers get out of this one in five, yeah, that definitely will help them. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about Embiid a lot more than I was before yesterday's game. Um, but I think, you know, they get out, they get some rest, it, it will be good, as you said. Uh, Phillies tonight against Milwaukee. And we talked about this yesterday, but I do want to say it again because I, I think this is really a bad thing. ESPN, which has the ability and right to change times of Major League games, decided they wanted to put this one on tonight. And um, it's the Fanatics' birthday, mm-hmm. which has always been an event for kids. Right. And the Phillies had no – I'm sure the Phillies are not happy about this. And I ranted yesterday, so I'll, I'll hand you the puck and you can rant for a moment. Oh, well, no, I'm with you 100%. I mean, it's um, – Phillies had no control over this. I mean, they picked this date for the Fanatics' birthday, and then ESPN comes in and, and, and they ch- change it to a night game um, without any caring or thought to what the Phillies actually had planned. There's, and now you're playing at night. So what are you going to do? But, yeah, I mean, it, it has always been, from its inception, Fanatic birthday has always been a Sunday afternoon, and it's always been geared towards families and kids. You know, 1 o'clock game, come out early and – they have the ceremony beforehand. They bring the other mascots out, and it's just a fun day for the kids. Well, you can't do that for a night game. I mean, if, if, you've, if you've already bought your tickets, and most of the people already have, I mean, they'll come, and the kids will come, and they'll, they'll be the ceremony, and they'll do it all. But, you know, you're by, by the third inning, you know, you're, the kids are going to be falling asleep, and you're going to be taking them home. So you're going to deprive them from a chance to see an entire baseball game. I mean, that sort of defeats yeah, the purpose. Yeah, it's a school night. Yeah. It's a school night, too. It's not even a Saturday night. It's a school right. night. Um, okay, one one la- one last thing. Actually, before I get to the one last thing, you and I made a stupid football bet yesterday, and I never wrote it down, and I honestly don't remember what it was. I know it was like a, a minuscule bet. We bet like coffee versus soda. What did we bet on yesterday? Do you remember? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Well, I, if you win, you'll probably remember. Yeah, there's somebody out there. They're, 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 we have we have very faithful listeners who sometimes listen yeah. to the show more closely than no, we I, do. I, I put the podcast out. So I'm, count, I'm, I'm counting on somebody to kind of, to kind of remember what it was. Yeah, it was just, oh it was, no 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 no. I know what I know, I, I, I know now. I know what it is. It just oh. came back to me. Okay, it was J Jaw. Oh, whether he's going to make the roster. Yes. That's right. The, I say no, you say the yes. Bet, the, the bet was, and it's a very clear-cut bet, that he is he either is or is not one of the 53 players dressing on opening day. Right. And you said he will not be, and I said no. he will be. Okay. Well, there you go. And I think we bet like six coffees versus six. Six sodas. coffees versus six Diet Cokes. Uh, Correct. Actually, and by the, but listen, no, I, I want to qualify this now. By, yeah. by saying he's going to be on the roster, I am not suggesting that this change of position from wide receiver to tight end is going to change the course of Eagles history. Okay, I'm not. I'm not saying that he's going to now suddenly become yeah, a tight it. end and I he's going to become Pete Retzlaff. All right, okay. I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that he will be dressed and in uniform on opening day. Okay, I'm. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to post it for on social media so it's there for perpetuity, so we don't forget. There you go. Uh, and then finally, before we go to our producer Dan Wilson for what we forgot to talk about, Ray, this is not a bet, but this is you have to give a definitive answer. Thursday night, 
comes down. Pick 15. The commissioner stands up there, ready to give bro hugs to them all. Big fan of that, are you? No. Okay. I think it looks stupid. <laughs> Contrived? Yeah, of course it's contrived. You know, and you got you know, and you got some of these guys get a little carried away, and they lift Goodell off oh, you yeah. know off his feet. I mean, sure. they're, they're well, swinging him in the air like a rag doll. I mean, that's is that the look you want for your commissioner? I don't think so. With the fifteenth pick of the draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. I don't think they're going to be picking fifteen. I'm, oh, I'm, up or down? I'm, I think they're trading up. And as they trade up with pick whatever they select, purely guess. Purely a guess that they trade their 15th plus a later pick uh, to move up X number of spots. Not super high, but maybe like 11 or 12. I'm going to say they take Kyle Hamilton. Oh, okay. I would be okay with that. And I'm going to say I'll go with what I've done all along. With pick 15, they take Jordan Davis, the huge defensive tackle. Out of and I would be okay with that too. But here's the one qualifier. I think mm. you're going to have to trade up to get him too. Because Ooh, the team that's really? right, yeah, the team that's right in front of you, immediately in front of you, the Ravens is Baltimore, and he's and 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 he is a perfect Raven. You know, and they okay. need defensive linemen, and you know they yeah. they love those super big guys. Yeah, you okay. know, and right. uh, so I have a feeling if he's still on the board at fourteen, that's where he's going to go. That would so be a bummer. If that's who you really want. You might just have to jump two spots. But it'll be like last year. You jumped up. You jumped up just to get ahead of the Giants to get yeah. Devontae Smith. Okay. You probably have to jump up maybe two spots here to just get ahead of the Ravens because I think the Ravens to me are are a team that they would target Davis. All right, let's go to producer uh, Dan Wilson and find out what did we forget to talk about today. Yeah, so a few things. Number one, uh, big news in the world of sports yesterday in the world of baseball: Miguel Cabrera getting his three thousandth career hit. That makes him just. The seventh player in Major League Baseball history to have both 3,000 hits and 500 home runs. And just the third, and this is pretty elite company, to do it with a 300 batting average or better. The other two, Willie Mays and Hank Aaron. Well, that's pretty exclusive company, (laughs) I would say. I would say. Uh, I'm trying to think. The other, uh, A-Rod, one of those seven. A-Rod is one, yes. Pujols, one of those seven. Uh, Eddie Murray, does Eddie Murray have 500 home runs? I actually have to look up. I know the list was seven. Okay. I have to pull up the whole uh, thing. Well, those are the ones I can kind of get off the top of my head. Ray, um, a great player, an all-time player, first battle Hall of Famer, but not a guy who has gotten a lot of national juice. No. Is it because he plays? he's played a lot of his career for a bad team in Detroit? Yeah, I think that's probably it. That's probably it. And, uh, you know, didn't didn't get much press, wasn't much of an interview, wasn't a guy that was tremendously flashy or colorful. Um I mean, I think there are probably a lot of people out there that would be shocked to know that he's as good as he was. But yeah. if you just look at the numbers, and I'm not going, I'm not going to become Mr. Analytics here. Just, I mean, just look at the raw numbers. Look at the batting average. Look at the home run production, total base hits, which any fan can appreciate. I mean, he's right there with the best. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, great, first ballot. Great, great first ballot for sure. No doubt. And really, right, what else you got, Dan? I'll just say really quickly, those other two, Eddie Murray and Rafael Palmero. Oh, there you go. Well, I got six out of – oh, Rafael Palmero. Okay. I got six out of seven. I'll live with that. And All then, right, what else? So, I had a question for you guys, which is that – so, Ben, you know, we mentioned that Ben Simmons might be the first player in NBA history to – literally playing back-to-back games in which his team gets eliminated. Have either of you guys, in the history of your watching sports, ever seen a player in any sport allowed to debut this late in the season if he does indeed play in Game 4 here? No. Um, The closest I can come up with, and and it's not the same, and I'm going way back to prehistoric times, although, Ray, you will remember this, is... 
1970, 71, whatever, Montreal Canadiens call up Ken Dryden from the minors like the last week or two of the season. He plays four or five games and then wins the Stanley Cup. Right. And then he's the rookie of the year the year the after. The following that. year. Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess Hextall was kind of close to that as well. But um, except, Well, he played the – yeah, right, exactly. He played the whole year. You know, and Dryden came in just, I mean, literally a week before the playoffs. Right, right, right. Um, that's the one I got is Ken Dryden. I don't, I can't think of any player in any sport who debuted in the playoffs. Probably happened somewhere. Yeah, I mean, the only not NFL is not going to happen. Yeah, no. Well, actually, there there is one similar case. Jeff Thomason, the uh, the tight end, um, played the only game he played for the Eagles um, in that in that one season was the Super Bowl against the against the Patriots. Because remember. Um, Chad Lewis broke his oh, foot yeah. in the championship yeah, game. I do, catching a touchdown. So, Thomason, Jeff Thomason, who had been with the team before and had been cut and was literally doing construction work, uh, the Eagles called him and asked him if he, if he would join them for the Super Bowl. So, he didn't play football all year, but because of the injury to Chad Lewis, he got signed and played in the Super Bowl against Good the Patriots. Good right? Nicely done. Yeah, there you go. And uh, you got thing, one more? Last thing, while we're ripping a clutch sports client, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen that uh, LeBron James has been very actively live tweeting the NBA playoffs, uh, including the other night when he tweeted, I can slash will not miss the postseason again for my career. This sugar honey iced tea hurt. Okay, back to watching these games. And I, you know, obviously <laughs> clean that up. <laughs> well, uh, that tells me he's ready to leave the Lakers. Right? I used to is like that, Is that the way to interpret that? I guess. He's just become so annoying, like especially on social media. I think it's unbearable. See right what you miss, right? <laughs> see what see what's not in your world that you. I could be I had enjoying. no I had no idea any of this was going on. Oh, the 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 world of social media, Ray, is 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 humongous, and you 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 are a conscientious objector to all of it. Yeah, I I am, and I don't I don't feel that I'm any the poorer for it. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, Dan Wilson, who wins our caller of the day? Yeah, that's going to go to Brandon in Brookhaven, who had a very nice Phillies call earlier in the show. All right, good for him. He wins a $50 gift card to Scheib Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or at ScheibSports.com. Am I correct that Jack Fritz is taking us through the afternoon? You would be correct. You would be correct. Sweet. He's right He's right outside the door right now. Ah, eager to get on, ready to bust in. Well, let's not steal his time. Ray, this was a pleasure I'm sure I will talk to you during the week, Ray, as the draft approaches. No uh, doubt. Uh, a highlight time for you. Dan Wilson, nice job. Everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, Ray and I, well, actually, I'll be back Thursday night for the draft. We'll be talking to you then right here on 94 WIP. Nice job, Dan. Thank you. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. For a 
Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.